0: Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple gear the way you'd design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. I've used that sport dog collar in different
2: temperatures. It just doesn't stop working.
0: Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com slash eater to learn more. This is the Meat Eater Podcast coming at you shirtless, severely bug bitten, and in my case, underwearless. Hunt, the meat Eater Podcast. You can't predict anything. Presented by First Light, creating proven versatile hunting apparel from merino base layers to technical outerwear for every hunt. First Light. Go farther, stay longer. Joined today by a very special guest, Andrew Zimmer. Host of more damn shows than you can shake a (laughs) stick at.
3: (laughs) Shake a set of tongs at.
0: Not all great, though. Still. Yeah, you know. just Quantity over quality. Hey, one of the guys that works for us, Garrett Long, he's been on the show. He texted me this morning, bummed that he couldn't come meet you. He said, we watched Andrew Zimmern's Bizarre Foods like some people go to church.
1: We'll say hi to one <laughs> I think even That mentions, was a good show. That was not I one of the ones i mentioned. talking think like, even
0: mentioned that you'd get your special clothes on and the family would gather around. It brought the longs together. It brought the longs together. Creator, executive producer, and host of shows including Bizarre Foods franchise on Travel Channel, Driven by Food, Emmy winning the Zimmern List, Family Dinner, What's Eating America from MSNBC, and this year... It's the premiere of his newest show, Wild Game Kitchen, on the Outdoor Channel. Hitting the uh, airwaves. People still say that? Is it still airwaves? I'd go with it. Eh. Uh, why not? I don't yeah, know what I'm talking the about. Waves through.
4: It's
0: like when I call my phone, my telephone. And people are like, why do you say that? <laughs> <laughs> it's your phone. Hitting the airwaves, September 19th. Also, four books. The Bizarre Truth, Andrew Zimmern's Bizarre World of Food, Andrew Zimmern's Field Guide to Exceptionally Weird, Wild, and Wonderful Food. And here's an unexpected one Alliance of World Travelers, Volume 1,
1: AZ in the Lost City of Ophir. Hit me with that real quick. Uh, I used to make up stories to put my kids to sleep. Okay. And I finally what Well, at the time, one. And I. <sighs> I just finally said there's nothing in the 8 to 12-year-old space for kids. There's really good cardboard books, I mean, for any dads or moms out there. Little, you little know, inky kids. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, inky, stinky, caterpillar, and, you know, yucky. There's just a whole <laughs> bunch of great Possible. books for little kids. And there's really good stuff for 12, 13, and up. But there's there's a missing chunk, I think, that was underestimating what 8 to – 12, 8 to 13 year olds could read. So I made a kid's book and it's the, to this, I mean, it won a lot of awards and then you can't sell the second one because that age group fell out, somehow fell out of favor because they're all reading stuff on their uh, computers Got or it. their telephones. So you, <laughs> did you intend to go uh, many volumes? I wanted to, I still want to, I will. I'll force my you'll, way you'll into something. Out, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool though.
0: I'm going to get a copy of that.
1: It's gonna, I have, I'll send I have, you one. I have two right now that land right in that zone. Oh, my God. They'd love it. It's a, it's an adventure time-traveling uh, tale with the greatest premise ever. There's a strange Uncle Arthur who is the works at the British Museum in London and yet lives in this old Victorian mansion in in St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, he, he has his near-do-well kid who's basically me who can't do anything right uh, doesn't have a lot of self esteem. He's a total mess. And the, jeez, you're he, painting a grim picture yourself <laughs> in the first <laughs> dark kids yeah, book. In, yeah, the exactly. First the 10 crimp, pages. Man, we shouldn't have. Well, yeah. no, but I wanted kids. Here was the thing: I wanted kids. That was the whole point to relate to it because that's how the kids are feeling. Yeah, yeah. Right. For so sure. I wanted to put in real kids with real feelings and real kid characters. And so uh, little Az sneaks his way on board uh, his uncle's plane. Uh, unbeknownst to the uncle and sneaks with him, just kind of creeps behind and gets into the British museum and he's found out and his uncle banishes him to the office uh, that he has. And the kid pulls out one of those old um, uh, picture viewers where you slide the picture into the tube and hold it up to the light. And it's a time traveling device. And the uncle is trying to hide it in plain sight. And he goes back to ancient Egypt But as the time traveling thing is happening, a whole bunch of people rush into the office and he is sent back to ancient Egypt with three or four other kids he doesn't know. And then the evil villains also make their way back there. And it's like Indiana Jones, just cliffhanger every chapter as they hurtle their way to the exciting finish where they save the world. Great, man. Yeah, it's good. Is it still for sale? Uh, Yes, I guarantee I'll every, sell you one right now. Put it this way.
0: I, I will send you one. Perfect. Oh, I got one more question for you right quick. Two yeah. questions for you. Sure. That t-shirt. Yeah. Peace in America. Yeah. Like it. Thank you. Um... Second question is: Are you super scared? I think you'll do pretty good at trivia. You know, you're playing trivia with us. After I, the show. I heard about that afterwards.
1: Um, I'm, I, I, I don't I, think you'll win, but I think you'll do good. <laughs> <laughs> but see, here's here's the great He's thing. Already I think good you'll do good. good. <laughs> now, here's 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 the great thing. I was talking about this with someone else the other day on a different subject. At a certain point in your life, if you have lived if if you have If you have subscribed to whatever you believe right living is and you've started to live by a certain set of principles, I mean, really l- live by them. You make mistakes all the time because you're a human being. Mm-hmm. We, we all make mistakes. We all have a, a lot of messy issues in our lives. We all have a lot of things that are private that we're not good at. You know, but if you live by a certain set of principles, you develop enough self esteem that you're really not scared of anything. So if you fail at something, mm-hmm. it's it's unimportant. It doesn't matter to me if I didn't answer any of them. You don't give a shit if you win or not. I, I it's not just win. It's I don't care That's if not I, around, I, I don't care notes. if I embarrass <laughs> I don't note, care folks. if I embarrass myself anymore, yeah. but you have a you have oh. a professional amount of uh, of pride and expertise on the line if we are playing a uh, an outdoors based sure trivia sure uh, game. I is that a nice way of saying Steve has a fragile ego? No, it's it's a it's a <laughs> nice way it's a nice way of saying there's more pressure on you guys. Like if I want to let's say
0: game. let's say I was to go let's say Andrew has a show. Yep, and they have a culinary uh, world culinary trivia show. You might do pretty good. Well, I go on the show. He would probably say to me, I think you'll do okay. I don't think you'll win. Right. Right. I think you'll get a three
2: or four. I don't know that Andrew (laughs) would say that. He's nicer than you, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) All I'm trying to do here, man, I'm just trying to drum up listener. I'm trying to drum up listener (laughs)
0: enthusiasts. I'm trying to drum up. I'm trying to drum up listener. You know how like in in world wrestling, like the pro wrestling, they take like Hulk Hogan and the other guy and they have, like the meeting before sure. to promote the thing. That's all I'm trying to do.
1: Let me tell you, Mean Gene. Yeah. Right? That's what I'm trying to, uh, uh, to establish some of mean that. G- Perfect. Mean Gene is no longer with us. And I grew up watching God him bless. through the years. Through the years. It's uh I loved wrestling when I was a little mm-hmm. little little kid. You had to buy the magazines and then wait all week till Saturday and and watch Pro wrestling. Wrestling. Do you remember, do
0: you remember having, I remember having honest to God debates with kids when I was like in elementary school
1: about whether it was real or not. Like, I'm not buying it. What do you mean? (laughs) What do you mean? It was very real to me for a very long time Mm -hmm. until I started to see, you know, like the, 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 and mean, no disrespect to little people, but the minute they, they put in, like, at the time, they called them midgets. Right. Right? And, you know, Sky Low and Little Beaver. And I realized, okay, this is not only disrespectful to little people. It, it just struck me as being wrong, but it's also disrespectful to Native people. Like, the whole thing kind of struck me as, as not right. And then I started to sniff things out. And then I was like, no. And it started to dawn on me at age, like, 11, 12, that – my love of the sport yeah. needed to change a little bit mm. and it and it and it did but it still didn't mean that i i wasn't obsessed with Mil milmascaris coming off the top rope well maybe <laughs> you after know, and,
0: the <laughs> trivia thing you and me will pro wrestle
1: i love it i'll get a folding chair and i've sweet. done it have <laughs> I'll you get done a it a folding chair and <laughs> have the you the <laughs> have you in no, your I travels never, i never pro wrestled oh my god the, Here's most the fun, I, I've fun, see,
5: but most a, fun I've once ever once in a while there's a wrestling match on like a
0: A video shoot.
5: Yeah.
3: Mm. Oh,
0: yeah, I like doing that. Here's a a
5: thinker for you
3: guys, uh, all you listeners out there. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh Oh! He got to bring a two-by-four into the arena because he incorporated wood into his name, basically. That's all it took? That's
0: all I could figure out. I'm to try to TSA. That's <laughs> <So> <a, laughs> <it's, it's laughs> why they call
6: me Stevie
3: Blade. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they call me Brody the Taser. Yeah, yeah for a reason. Well, if, you're, if you're the meat eater, you could bring like a big tomahawk
0: steak probably. Yeah, I yeah. Guess.
3: that's right.
0: Uh, Duck Lore Season 2 is out now. I'll tell them, Sean. Yep, Duck Lore Season 2,
6: which was kind of the back half of last waterfowl season. First episode out right now is on the Great Salt Lake, which is pretty wild. Um. Yeah, ducklore's out, and along with that, the new first light waterfowl gear.
0: Yeah, which is tight. Yeah, well, it's tight, but it's typha, 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 yeah, which is a genus for cattails. Yeah, pretty much. it's a great name, man. Mm. Um, so first light typha has launched. Now, now this is the first of two waterfowl, like two collections of waterfowl material that'll be coming out from first light. Um. Meaning, like, the entire collection right off the top comes out in two batches. So right now, only certain styles are out for purchase, but you'll see a lot of that stuff if you watch Ducklore. Yep. You'll see a lot of the gear. Phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. I love it. Um, certain styles are available for purchase right now. Other styles becoming available at a later time. Here's what you got now. The Landing Zone jacket. The Tundra Net Gator, which is sweet. Three new beanies. And the collab collection with Tangle Free. Yeah, that's check all of that about.
6: That's of the new styles, right? And then we've got a bunch of the, you know, existing product like the Catalyst and all the wool and all that out and, in type. Yeah. now. So too. there's
0: yeah, there is obviously all kinds of crossover stuff, other kinds of First Light apparel that crosses over real well. So, um, you know, there's a bunch of merino. There's the Origin hoodie which I have in Typha, and I've had that for a long time. Catalyst vest, Catalyst jacket, Catalyst pant, Leafy jacket, Uncompagre 2.0 all out now in the type of pattern and then m- at more of the first light waterfowl line which is like a great collection they've got their i mean just keep getting better and better stuff coming all the time and so check all that stuff out now and hopefully by by waterfowl the rest will be dropped right yeah yeah Actually. and and in duck lore along with the duck lore launch we'll
6: have some videos and stuff on the meat eater website like getting into the Like the conditions I'm wearing each piece in and kind of talking about some of the features of these jackets. There's some like ridiculous thinking that went into these. Even like one specific feature, right, is the casting stripe on the underside of the arms for casting your dog. Little things like that, we break down why all these pieces are the way they are.
4: What's a
0: casting stripe? Yeah, I was stripe? gonna say, man, tell for people what ca- you're Sorry,
6: me. casting stripe is for casting your dog on hand signals, right? For f- for directing your dog to So a down underside bird. of
0: your arm is a visible bar. So when you're telling your dog, mm-hmm. like Cal's super dog, you can mm-hmm. t- point, snort, yell like what do what, what you yell when you can tell him a direction?
2: Over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's some bitching dog
0: yeah. stops, or that dog will run out and he'll be kind of lost for a minute. And he's like stops and stares at Cal. Mm-hmm. Cal does a hand signal, points his arm, what way it goes, and that son of a bitch goes in that direction, so which happens to col- be like the best feeling oh. ever. It's what, the best tool.
4: What color yeah. is that? Stri- I mean, is it like it's just so they can see that- it good? Oh, okay, yeah, because
6: yeah. you know that type. I mean, the, it's kind of funny when you think about it. The whole point of the jacket's to be camo, right?
4: And yep. then you're standing against <laughs>
6: the <entire laughs> environment, yeah, yeah, yeah. and the dog's like, "Where the hell is he?" Yeah. Well, so under the arm, there's black. Oh wow, straight. hold your arm out, uh-huh. and you got like a directional bar. Got it. Oh, yeah. So the can... further the dog gets away, the bigger you need
0: to become. Mm-hmm. Typically, right. if you got to do the hand signals, cool. yeah, dude, there's nothing worse than most dogs, but like, cows.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> nothing worse than most dogs. But the dogs that are dialed are just cool, man. Mm-hmm. We're gonna have a bunch so of dialed pretty dogs pretty here.
3: Sweet.
6: Ruby's kicking butt. Oh, yeah. Um, how's your dog doing, Sean? Case is doing well. I don't want to jinx it, right? Because a guy that talks up his dog. Is the guy that ends up oh, with a dude. bad dog, right? That's why I'm talking up <laughs> Kel's dog no. for. him. No, if you got a dog,
0: I'm happy shut how, your how mouth. she's doing. <laughs> yeah, never talk up your own dog.
1: <laughs> never talk your yeah. own dog. Up. I'm, I'm considering training my first dog. Talk to him. Consistency. First, if I, you got it? That's, that, it, that's the awesome. whole that's the whole thing. And I think I have the time now, and I think I finally have the dog, and I'm super, super excited about it. What so, kind of dog do you have? It's a Legata Romagnolo. It's an Italian water dog. But- do
4: those have like the white
1: Tr- no. Peas? No, but it's... Yeah, it,
4: payus. <laughs> payus, very good. It's, it's either the or the Very good. The wow, you yeah. are good
1: at trivia. Oh, yeah, dude. Or I had <laughs> but a Jewish girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> she is... <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, as, as the only 61-year-old New York City Jew at the table, I figured it had to be something mm. Hey, like that. you got a half Jew uh, right
4: here. Right on. <laughs>
1: uh, but the... Uh, I finally have the dog that as a... She's five months old, but she is... She's kind of a natural, so just slowly doing stuff with her at the house. I broke my uh, leg and fractured my ankle in April, so I, I've had a lot of time. And it was the day she arrived. She was actually the cause of me slipping, falling, oh, no. and was chasing oh, her. No. to meet you out the house. And so there's a bond <laughs> she between us. Shot and well, After this that. is what I think is the spiritual pay. I think the universe is like I saved her, uh, which is how I see it. And uh, then did my suffering, my 40 years in the desert for her. Yeah. And now. It's downright biblical. Exactly. Yeah. And now she is going to pay it back to me. and But this this dog will like, at, at a very young age, will obey commands and roots out stuff that is unbelievable to me. Where her older brother, same parents, uh, a year apart, is Completely inefficient, fantastic couch dog, but that's where it ends with Luca. Yeah. Clemmy, the exact opposite.
3: Oh, love it. Yeah, uh, you know, like pro trainers that are, that are them mm-hmm. a lot of dogs under under their watch. A lot of times it averages out to like twenty minutes a day. Yeah, of 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 real training. Yeah, uh, and then there's a lot of fundamentals that other folks will jump in there on. So I mean, twenty minutes a day, and then the constant reinforcement of just the normal good behavior set yep. stay come
1: yep i mean it's not asking that much of your time no right? and she oh. wants uh, uh, when i say natural and it's i mean i've never done this before but i'm starting to study it and and she will go anything that moves in the back or she doesn't go right after it right away but she kind of stays and watches it and if if you see her watching something it, it's an animal when we live Way out in the country in Minnesota, and so there's tons of stuff out there for her. And the only thing that she's obsessed right now with actually going after that we've taught her very quickly not to eat are frogs because they come up out of the lake (laughs) and they're breeding. And she sees these little things in the grass, especially at night when it's hot, and they come out, and she's just like going nuts. It's like stop eating the frogs, Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. she's she's got that down. So I'm like, I have I have faith in her. Yeah, I'm excited for you. I just need her. You know we. My life there, in terms of local, you know, hunting is you know duck, geese, pheasant, and grouse. That's it. And well,
3: you know, if that's all you have, that's yeah, all we have.
1: That's, uh, <laughs> that's
6: it. It's birds. Yeah. Just we, all the main do, birds, <laughs> people like to hunt. Just <laughs> yeah. the things I love.
1: Just yeah, it's it, it, the things I love too. That's yeah, so that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. Hopefully, I can do, because to share that with the dog is the. To, I was getting back to your point about that moment where. In the field, and it's an important moment, and it happens and it works out is an unbelievable symbiotic relationship.
3: Yeah. Anyway, no, I'll is. shut up. No, yeah, very fulfilling. Keeps us going.
0: Uh, I got a hot tip for parents. You know, Brody, we should have put this in the Outdoor Kids and an
1: in Inside World book.
5: You know, I was going to mention that book when he was talking about eight to 12 year olds. Yeah. We're
1: so write, we're writing a book for those kids too. Yeah. yeah. No, we wrote a
0: book about kids, and now we're writing a book for kids. Yeah. The book about kids is outdoor kids in an inside world. Which is and great. I wish we had I redecked my snowmobile trailer, so took the old rotten plywood off and put new plywood down. Oh and you found some good. Leaned, material? leaned them <laughs> up against the garden fence. And that inspired me to go dig out the ninja throwing stars, which we hadn't used in a while. Yep. Man, if you got kids, get them some ninja throwing stars, Wh- man. What are those? Teach them how to make them. Oh, like how do you not know a ninja th- we grew throwing. We throw calling them. throwing grew up, stars. Yeah, we like, grew up calling oh, okay. them Chinese throwing stars. Uh, I have no okay. idea why. They okay. must have said China stamped in it. Flea markets. Like, you get them at flea, flea market. But let me give you a tip when you go to buy one. You like? Yeah.
4: You like? I was showing my kid how a real ninja holds it last night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was always told It's hard to throw a real ninja. He's like, are there real ninjas? I'm like, yeah, dude. They were like assassins and burglars 1,300 years ago. So starting to really doubt
3: Corinne's martial arts credentials they, I thought he said something. I, mean, so, I do not know what's no, he said real throwing ninja,
4: stars. It's because it's ninja like Michigan accent. My,
0: my wife calls it that multi prong throwing knife. <laughs> so, oh, they're fun. But don't like Amazon doesn't sell them. I think for like safety concerns.
5: We used get, to make them in shop. Class. Oh, I know,
0: but they're no good. We what happened I
5: know, I'm
2: You know, uh, well, yeah. I that's what I was that like. Either. That's what's up next for him. The gasoline-powered sharp thing. Good for your kids.
0: These, <laughs> dude, they love throwing stars. Uh, but you, there's a couple of things. You got to go to. You got to go to Ninja Supply houses.
2: You can't. <laughs> oh, oh, you yeah? can't
0: get them. Go to a Ninja Supply house. Ninja
2: clearing house. <laughs> <laughs> ninja Supply.
0: Don't house? <laughs> get suckered into the four prongs. That's, yeah that's are for trump. You going chumps. to the five prong? No, you need like a six Eleven prong, oh, seven okay. prong. Okay. and then as many prongs and as I you can I took an find. angle I took an angle grinder and oh finely honed the prongs on those throwing stars and then I took blaze orange paint cuz they go you know off mm-hmm. never never land uh-huh. <laughs> so i blaze orange painted them honed them up with an angle grinder and then you, those old rotten sheets of plywood dude hours of fun oh my
4: god hours that of fun actually sounds pretty good oh
0: i from we're all the there, ninja we're last night. What, i remember from a ninja movie they did like a to train the ninjas they take like a string and tie like a washer on it and let it swing in front of the target and you got to get so good that you can flop pin the right. string to the board you
5: know what I never bought in those movies even as a kid was like a ninja would uh, he would throw oh and it'd pierce a, your brain a, pan it, well no it'd oh. just, like hit you in the chest and the guy would just fall over dead yeah and... stone cold
4: <laughs> it'd be more like
0: you'd be more like down
5: Jesus Yeah, <laughs> the hell you have for it'd be kind of more what you would
0: say if you yeah. got hit in the chest by a ninja throwing star are you are you nuts so much fun uh, um. Oh, the James Webb. This stuff is like, I can't be looking at James Webb Phil, telescope. Phil
4: put that on my radar the other day. So I, I can't. I we, we looked this morning at the it's one. Amazing. It's crazy.
0: It ruins your whole day. So,
3: <laughs> well, those those first deep space ones from Hubble however many years ago the first time i saw yeah, that I, I had like my first real existential moment oh, I where i got today. like dizzy and almost passed out just like thinking like of the vastness of the universe i woke up yeah. being
0: proud that i remembered it was my anniversary <laughs> <laughs> so i'm just laying there my wife's asleep and i was laying there being like i am gonna razzle oh, yeah. and dazzle her
5: <laughs> by saying, your time
0: by saying happy anniversary then i'm like god i hope you don't forget
4: <laughs> and then you, and if she sleeps much yeah. longer
0: you're like yeah. I'm just gonna... no but I missed her birthday twice which just still mm-hmm. haunts me mm-hmm. uh, so I don't know if I've ever forgotten that anniversary one day we got the day wrong went out to dinner didn't realize until later that it was the wrong day uh, but I remembered anyways and then when she woke up we were looking at the James Webb Space Telescope things and there's that like deep field photo <sighs> Thousands of galaxies. Okay. So the, like some of them being like uh, the sun's light takes is eight or 13 minutes to get here. The sun's light takes eight minutes to get here. Mm -hmm. Galaxies that are 290 light years away. So if you turned on a flashlight on one of them planets, the light would get here in 290 years. If you turned on the light at the sun, it would be here in eight minutes. There are, I'm not saying there's dudes sitting around writing books and whatnot. There are definitely things. More planets than there are grains of sand on Earth. And then what is all that shit doing out there? That's what I don't mm-hmm. like to think yeah. about.
6: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's just too much stuff. We're (laughs) like,
0: gasoline's
6: expensive, and then you see that picture. It (laughs) doesn't matter. Shit. Uh, There there are many different types of uh, measuring
3: contests in this world, and the uh, headline that made me laugh thinking about this measuring contest that we've put ourselves in is uh, first pictures with web telescope, like deepest... Uh, view of space ever recorded. Like very first ones. And I just imagined that there was somebody sitting around being like, <laughs> told you so. <laughs> told you.
1: There is no way, no way that we are an aimless rock hurtling nowhere, doing nothing, circling an average. The, the Our sun is a G2 star, right? The most average of all types of stars. So to think that of all these Billions, trillions of—we we just don't. The vastness is unbelievable, right? Because that's yeah. those more, are just more the ones planets that we can than see grains of than sand grains on. of sand. That we're the only one that is supporting life is ludicrous. Yeah, you're right. But it's
0: yeah. ludicrous. I think I've summed this up before, and I don't want to take too much time on it. But you know, the physiologist Jared Diamond—it's mm-hmm. kind of a white whale for this podcast. Never did get him on, did we?
4: No, I should circle back. I just bought a bunch of his books.
0: The new white whale is Ron well, DeSantis. I haven't tried yeah, to really. go I have no. tried to go through high level high level contacts and can't get a call back from Ron uh, DeSantis and then uh, Jared Jared Diamond. So in his book about human history, he, he in the end he talks about what about other people coming and hanging out? And he gets into this interesting idea, uh, that like if you imagine the earth's the way he describes it. If you imagine the earth's timeline as your arms spread out. Okay. So the earth's timeline is fingertip to fingertip. You could remove human history with one stroke of a nail file. That's actually a John McPhee observation, but that's what human history is. So as long as the earth's been here, human history is a stroke of a nail file. And then you can take that off the the timeline. So what he gets into is this idea that like, If you have a 4 billion-year-old planet, okay, and you have a human history that's the stroke of a nail file, and then those people can transmit electronic signals for a couple hundred years, you're talking about a a tremendous coincidence for other planets to sort of like launch a life form that becomes where it has aspirations similar to ours and then its particular timeline – And its aspirations and its technological capabilities somehow coincide with ours. It's not like, is it out there? But it's like,
1: where is it? In in, in their timeline. Like, where Mm -hmm. is it? And and does all things go in this direction? Well, that's where it becomes even more fascinating. That's where it starts to narrow itself down a little bit. But in so many zillions, quadrillions of opportunities, right? But just the idea of life on another planet, even a life form that may not be able to communicate with us. Because of their timeline, because it's like the most advanced thing is the
0: earthworm or or, or, whatever.
1: There's stuff out there. There is stuff out there. Well,
2: and then also going back to your original point, like consider that maybe there does come the day that we do finally get that transmission, but it came from so far away that that civilization, they don't exist anymore. That's right. They're long since gone.
0: So they sent it and then it's 200. They sent it at their height. And then, and then we're like, gone. sweet, and we go over there, and they're like, ah, they're gone. <laughs> yeah, knew
2: we, we were going to be late.
3: <laughs> and we think so highly of ourselves. Yes, that transmission will come in with like a word misspelled, and we'll be like,
2: this is this yeah. even Idiots. worth our time?
0: <laughs> <sighs> that might be well, a, that's a, that's a future show for you, man. Bizarre well, we're, planets. We're still trying to
1: figure out. <laughs> bizarre all bizarre of food them. On bizarre We're still trying to figure out how to feed our populations. Whether it's four people, four astronauts or you know a hundred feeding people for deep space exploration is now the really big right question mark and it's fascinating being around scientists down in in Houston or Florida at our space centers California uh, at the uh, different jet propulsion laboratory uh, facilities and I've had the opportunity to be with some of these food scientists who are so insanely smart and just just the the engineering to feed people for a deep space trip, nutritive food that stays nutritive, right? Because the current way we feed our astronauts, it becomes non-nutritive. And so, you know, how do you grow, sustain our own life on these deep space voyages is, is something that my brain just starts to fizzle out on. But it's fascinating to me. Have they watched I, that Matt Damon movie? Well, that's the whole. He figured <laughs> yeah. it out. That's the big joke, right? I, I that was the. Problem. I walked into the door to the, the last, last one. Guys, I, I just him. I just saw it, and it was like you know, it was like yeah, we've all heard that. Oh, <laughs> all our kids, all our kids tell us that. All Have our you friends tell us that.
0: Dad, I was. Uh, I can't remember who was with us. Oh, you were. Yeah, crin was there. Um, when we went a few months ago, we went to. We had dinner with Rogan and we went to yeah. watch his like i, don't, I hope i'm not like blowing something for him cuz he's like developing a new His
4: county show cuz it's But anyways, he's talking hilarious. about
0: someone was expl- he's he's with someone who's explaining like the intricacies of getting people to Mars oh, and like oh, yeah, all this yeah, shit yeah, and he yeah, says yeah, but yeah, the whole time yeah. the person's explaining the math mm-hmm. he's just thinking yeah. <laughs> how there's three people and he's like what if one of those guys brings a pistol and shoots the <laughs> other <two?"> <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lumber, his
4: mind yeah, she, no, it, was like, it was like
0: one of one has a pistol and shoots one of them and then himself and then you're like no after they launch mm-hmm. so he's like "Some no matter what you do, he says check them for guns spring is a great time to do something with your family Do some spring cleaning, which I kind of started today outside. Planning outdoor activities, which I'm always doing. Taking a little trip to Hawaii with your kids for spring break, which I just did, which was great. You know what else you can do for your family this spring? You can shop for life insurance with Policy Genius. Make that part of your financial planning for the year. I've said it before a thousand times. I'll say it again. When my wife and I, when we started having kids... We got serious about life insurance, and man, I felt so much better after we did. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Even if you already have a life insurance policy through work, it may not offer enough protection for your family's needs, and it may not follow you if you leave your job. So save time and money. And provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to PolicyGenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's PolicyGenius.com. Hey man, after years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there is always a catch.
3: upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 per month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details.
0: Man, I'm just coming back uh, not too long ago from youth turkey season in Wisconsin. Now, last year at youth turkey season, it rained and snowed the whole time. This year at youth turkey season... Liquidiv.com and you use code MeatEater at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code MeatEater at Liquidiv.com. Uh, oh, here's a good one. We've covered this bunch, but I want to talk about it again. Mountain Lions in Connecticut. Speaking of mysteries, this is as mysterious as you would think other planets are mysterious.
4: <laughs> it's a good transition. This guy's too. riled
0: up. So he, he's, got, he's got people broken into two kinds of people.
4: It's, it's, it's actually not a dude, it's a. It's a gal who's no, maybe one of apologies. our like 10 audience members. Yeah, so
0: one of the 10, ten women female, yeah. who listens to the show wrote in. And she uh, um, is talking about there's two kinds of people on this planet. I used to think there's two kinds of people. There's people that divide people into two kinds of people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but she's got it that there's two distinct camps there's mountain lion believers and mountain lion deniers. <laughs> Two kinds of Connecticutans.
2: <laughs> That's it. There's no one in the middle who's yeah, like, I don't know. Not in that State. <laughs> I think it's like that nope. everywhere east of the Mississippi. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. There's she a lot of people out. who do not know what a
3: mountain lion right. is. Yeah, what about people who
0: don't give a shit? Like, so, what category do they fall in? No, they, they, so there's mountain lion truthers. Those that believe mountain lions <laughs> have an established breeding population <laughs> statewide. This, but listen to the terminology, because I want the listener to listen to the terminology <laughs> that she is using. Okay. Those that believe mountain lions have an established breeding population statewide in Connecticut. I I think that, like, I'm going to get into the primary question, but I'm asking her to listen to what she's saying. Established breeding population statewide. And mountain lion deniers those that believe there is no established breeding population. And the annual lion sightings are a result of people's inability to to distinguish a bobcat from a lion. It goes on to say there was a recent high profile sighting in a face post Facebook post made by the Woodbridge PD acknowledging the sighting. So that's the police department mm-hmm. it hasn't happened in a while. It's caused quite a stir. Based on the fact, I'm. I'm quoting and summarizing in in, a mix of quotes and summarizations based on the fact that these sightings have never been substantiated by any photos or tracks. Our wildlife division insists that there is no established breeding population with so many sightings and so many locals with all kinds of lion stories. You'd think that in the age of the smartphone aided by thousands of trail this is more from the non people saying smartphones, trail cams, you'd catch one. Um every hunting and agriculture Facebook page is talking about this new sighting. One look through the comments section will show how divided we are on this issue. Goes on to say, my main question for the lion truthers is, if lions really are breeding here, why does the Department of Energy and Environmental Protection deny their presence? What kind of secret hidden agenda does our underfunded, (laughs) understaffed, and disorganized little wildlife division have? She's saying maybe they just want to keep all the lions to themselves. Maybe they respond to sightings by going out at night, trapping the lions, and bringing them to their secret underground lion facility for
2: secret testing. We'd love to hear a discussion. I, I love how that took a hard turn into conspiracy <laughs> theory. No,
0: no, I think she's saying, like, what if, if it's a common thing you'll right. commonly, yeah. like, in all these states where this happens, you'll commonly hear that, like, like all the time, oh, Fishing Game knows they're here,
1: yeah, they yep, still don't yep. want to admit yep, 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 yep. it.
0: There's a lit, like, I want to tackle that for a minute because there is a little bit of a, of a validity to um, there are issues at play for states to deny they have populations because and this is not a conspiracy it's just like a thing there's a there's a there's a chance where re- remember recently there was a there was a bill to try to declare um it was it was an esa deal it was like it would be that if there was a eastern cougar if there was <laughs> yeah. an eastern cougar um it would be a it would be a dead ringer for endangered species right. act protection okay so there is a little like not-quite-conspiracy theory that for state agencies to come out and say, yes, we have a very small, um, at-risk breeding population of a native large cat, there would probably be a conversation about, well, what are you going to do to protect that naturally-recovered, naturally-occurring, population and that has
5: it would have all kinds of implications that has how you manage land and other animals they're going to be like
0: what's your management plan right right what's your recovery plan okay so there is a foot there is a understandable foot dragging on the part of people just to come out and a mountain lion gets hit on the side of the road and for them to be like okay we're going to have a management plan and a recovery plan And they're naturally, right. Because that
1: eats up dollars and resources and all the rest of that. So they'd rather just sweep it under the rug. Is that the point? You'd rather just look the other direction yeah, or not. Like, or it's what I, here's my take on
0: it. My take on it is that, yeah, man, there are mountain lions running around, but you have to ask yourself, what does it mean to say that you have an established breeding population? When lions turn up in crazy places, they're often able to be, you know, through genetic testing, they'll be like, it's, from a South Dakota Black Hills population. Or which whatever.
5: is which is what happened what several years ago. Yeah, four years ago. One got hit yeah. on the road.
0: One yeah. struck out and did some crazy shit, just like in Missouri. Um, you know, I remember that high-profile, somewhat high-profile case. A guy came home from bow hunting and there's a coyote trying to get into his chicken coop. He shoots the coyote. Nope. He shot a wolf from Michigan's UP. They wander around in Missouri. So, then does the state of Missouri then say, Oh, well, let's have a management plan for gray wolves? And then five years goes by, and no one ever lays eyes on another gray wolf.
3: Oh, we, we had uh, a case of a uh, black bear that hopped on a grain barge. Yep. And ended up. In some place that does what? not have a black oh bear God, population. That's right? I don't care yeah. that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, which apparently is like not totally uncommon. <laughs> well, it's Bruno the bear, right? Yeah, a lot of
2: that's food. That's fantastic. Well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're notorious for wanting to catch a free ride somewhere. Yeah. So. Well, well, right. and that bear I mean, they're was, bears. Yeah. That bear gradually. I saw Paddington. Yeah. <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> that bear gradually almost made his way. He wound up getting hit, right? Yeah. yeah but yeah. almost made his way to like almost shit lucked into a population of black bears in Arkansas, which would have been cool. Mm -hmm. So it's like no one, I I don't know of any serious individual who looks at like wildlife politics and wildlife trends. I don't know any serious individual who doesn't think that legitimate wild born mountain lions are making their way into the Eastern U S and showing up in unexpected places. And I remember one, there was one that was hit that had been, uh, she had lactated and had, like, there was evidence that she had reproduced. She hadn't been declawed, right? And no doubt in places, two of these things are coming together and and reproducing. But um, that isn't the same thing as an established breeding population that a state would then go in and have a management plan for. I I want to...
3: Uh, said, uh, on behalf of the folks at, at, deep over there in Connecticut, I got to work with, <laughs> with these folks, uh, tagging, um, or replacing radio collars on, on black bears through, uh, the NSSF one year. And that was super awesome. And these are just like you find, I would say the majority of in wildlife agencies in the majority of states, they're very dedicated in caring people, my observation is in the state of Connecticut, your wildlife agency people get very little time to deal with wildlife because you people that have over the state of Connecticut just keep calling it for random crap. <laughs> and they just, they, <laughs> they don't have any time to deal with the animals, but that's um, what they want to do. So But they are dedicated wildlife Folks. And to Steve's point, you know, we had uh, last year, the year before, uh, a grizz sighting uh, on the Clearwater River drainage in Idaho. Now, we know for a fact there's grizz that traips through the panhandle of Idaho often, but there is no evidence of an established grizzly population in that area. We know there's established grizzly bears in southern Idaho on the, you know, the GYE population, greater Yellowstone ecosystem population. And I remember Idaho Fish and Game was getting some, some crap because they said, yes, we're, we're acknowledging that there was a sighting of like what is believed to be a grizzly bear in this drainage, happened to be the second year in a row. They were able to find tracks that definitely looked like grizzly tracks and they were able to find hair. And then they were not going to say this is a grizzly bear until they did a DNA analysis on that hair. Yep. Because, as Steve just said, there's there's larger implications for a state agency to say, yep, you're right, because then they have to change their management to say that this does exist here, and it has implications on a bunch of stuff that, you know, you're... john q fisher folk don't have to worry about when they say yeah i saw grizz the other day
0: like almost guaranteed immediate lawsuits too to be like suits like why is it not listed why have you not fulfilled your management plan you know
3: yep there should be no bear hunting here because there's a chance that a black bear is gonna get or a grizz is gonna get mistaken for a black bear which does happen so
0: i want to tell this connecticut and what do they call people from connecticut not Connecticutans.
2: I I like they should that. from now like on. yeah, yeah. Connecticut, can we can we push for that <laughs> I got a message for the
0: Connecticut person though here's a, a, a this is the last thing I'll say on the subject uh Clay had an interesting observation with mountain lions showing up in Arkansas okay where it got to be like more trail cam pictures more stuff event my, Arkansas used to have a black bear biologist one day one day. That biologist became the large, the state's large carnivore biologist, or some such thing like that. It was like a very subtle, like his purview, all suddenly his purview expanded, right? And it was sort of a and Clay took it to be a subtle acknowledgement. Clay probably took it to be a subtle acknowledgement of the existence of black panthers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah.
4: He
0: did. <laughs> like not just Mountain Lions, but Black Panthers too. Uh Sean, um, Marching along toward our, uh, getting back to our conversation with our esteemed guest, Andrew Zimmern. Uh, Sean, hit us with the first case of homosexual necrophilia and Mallards. <laughs> That'd be a great title for a yeah. movie. Wow,
2: that was a transition. Or a band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be a good band name. <laughs> I think that is yeah. the
3: name of one
0: of
2: Carl's bands. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it will be by the end of the day. First case of
0: homosexual necrophilia and Mallards, which is a actual paper in the...
6: What journal was it, Sean? Okay, well, I don't even know what journal it was in. I'll tell you. So this guy, C.W. Molliker, back in like 1995, recorded a Drake Mallard running into the glass of the, what must be like the Natural History Museum.
0: And Well, he's even got pictures of it here. (laughs) Oh,
6: yeah. He did did (laughs) full-fledged... Documentation, taking pictures of... Cornelius Mulliker. Yeah, he's got a heck of a That's name. a fake name. <laughs> uh, Drake Mallard collides into the glass, being chased by another Drake Mallard, falls dead, and proceeds to get bread, practically, for 75 minutes. Goo.
0: <laughs>
6: mm-hmm. And a dude documents it. the whole thing, takes pictures, collects the carcasses, the whole bit.
0: That's an interesting type of academic journal. Um, And there's like a, there's like people will get journal journal articles off just like a crazy observation. Yeah. You know, and you'll publish like, people will publish an observation. And he took six
6: years to publish it because he was like, I don't know if this is something I really want to deal with. (laughs) And, And he ended up winning like a satirical science award. It's called the IG Nobel Prize. That's for weird science
4: the ig nobel oh you know who won that metten as well oh, that's right. for well, his uh poop knife
1: yep it seems He's to me really to knowing. to add a new definition to the term screwed the life out of you yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> i mean that's a it's a horrific mm, tale
0: it now he was there's a speculation that when it collided with the glass it was engaged in an attempted rape flight that resulted in the collision. That sounds Yeah, because it was running away
6: from this
2: other Drake is
6: what he supposed.
2: Yeah, this all well. adds up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Anybody's watched prison movies knows that this all makes sense. Well, prison <laughs> movies lack barbed penises. Yeah, that's true. True. The yeah. Mallard does not. <laughs>
6: <laughs> the, oh, go ahead. What I like is now that it's become like a holiday. It's Dead what? Duck Day on June 5th. And he, that like him and a bunch of people go back to the Natural History no. Museum to, to like no. host no. a vigil. Yes, no. yes. And then they pretty much host a vigil and Jesus. then walk to a local Chinese restaurant <laughs> for a six
0: course for a six course duck dinner. That's some dark, dark shit. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah, that is yeah. interesting. Yeah. That I'm going to that. I need that. Yeah. I'd I'd, I'd want to get in on the meal part, but I might set the vigil out. Yeah, yeah. depends yeah. on the restaurant. Yeah. He even has like a. There's pictures
6: of him like giving a speech with a podium. No. The whole bit. He's it's wearing great. a gimp mask. They're like, yeah, they're like, leave, your,
0: leave your clothes at the door. <laughs> We're gonna have the vigil now. Yeah. Wow. Uh, fellow named Cody wrote in on my way home from work. You'll see that we're narr- we're closing in on your terrain. Here, so really pay, attention. Just, pay attention! Pay <laughs> attention! Get ready. We start wide, and I then mean, we not just get the, the, the wide arc to arc
1: necrophili- I, I don't know. Maybe that's because that I felt super dialed in <laughs> yeah. when that story popped, and, out. and
6: it's really catered right
0: to your Minneapolis thought, audience. Yeah, type, we started so. talking about the necrophilia mallard. He thought we were like started the interview. Um, <laughs> uh, what happened here? Oh, guy named Cody writes in. On my way home from work, I was listening to podcast episode three twenty eight. Test my meat. And part of the conversation raised a question for me. In your conversation about brining, mm. you guys discussed how adding other ingredients into a brine will not make the cut of meat take on those flavors. What I was just saying is when you're mixing up a brine and you get into just like things, you're like, come on. You're like, three peppercorns. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just put the pepper on it later. Like, it's not, you're not, no right. one's gonna taste the one and be like, is there a hint of peppercorn mm. it's just like it's just is that it's a silly. cherry peppercorn yeah it like it looks no, cool malabar. in the brine the brine yeah. looks cool with stuff floating in it but i'm just like at a point there's some things that like there's no way on planet earth that even the most finest palate on the world would taste that there were peppercorns in that brine the example this is cody talking The example in the podcast was including a bay leaf in the brine. My question is, how is (laughs) an (laughs) old dried one? (laughs) My question is, how is marinating meat different? Unless I'm mistaken, soaking meat in a marinade will make that meat soak up the flavors of the marinade, not the leaf. But based on the brining discussion, I'm now wondering if my outlook on marinating meat is wrong. Can meat actually soak up a marinade? He is wrong. Because
2: it's just uh, explain it. We're talking about two very different things. All right. So without going into the minutia of this, because I know I'm the one who threw out the whole bay leaf thing. It's Kevin Gillespie here. Yeah. Hey. Hello, everyone. <laughs> I know you thought I was Randy Savage earlier, but I'm Kevin Gillespie the whole time. <laughs> Um, Macho man yeah. You're going nowhere yeah. Listen to your brother <laughs> <laughs> That bay leaf isn't gonna work that Kids is... stay off drugs <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you something Me oh, yes. he like the <laughs> there
4: This is excellent
2: <laughs> I'm doing the rest of the podcast In please, my pseudo Randy Savage voice do it I won't way. be able to talk later That just grinds <laughs> your vocal Hey there words. Hulkamaniacs Yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay so We talked about this Brining is, is a water-based solution. Not a lot of a lot of the things that people throw in brines are not water soluble. So they won't ever uh, break down in a water-based solution. That's a good solution. way of looking at it. Onions and garlic are, so that's one of the times when it actually will work. If you puree up an onion and you add it into your brine, you will get an onion flavor that penetrates into the meat. Because it can um, piggyback on the Because it's water soluble. So you travel with the water in the osmotic reaction. You
0: ever looked up water in a dictionary? No, it's I have not. It. it describes it. <laughs> it, it describes it, it, it. One of the parts of the description is it, it describes it as an almost
2: universal solvent,
0: Ooh. which is great.
2: Corinne, grab a dictionary. <laughs> Stat. Um, so here, here's the deal with the marinating and brining. They're two different things. In modern parlance, marinades imply an acidic liquid. Whereas brine implies a water-based liquid,
1: I had no idea. That's so good. that's a good, nice that, and clean. That is
2: the that's the clean answer for you
1: until you start to put acids Correct. into there,
2: right? And there's and there is
1: there's, there's a lot of there's,
2: yeah. Of, there's a lot of fine subtlety. I, no, you I, can, I, I, you know, keep, keep yeah. it what you're doing. Keep Marinade, it like, acid-based brine, water-based brines yeah. are very effective because scientifically, because the way the chemistry of it works, they work. Marinades, on the, other <laughs> hands, on the other hand, don't really work. Now, it's not to say they won't make things taste like something. That's a whole different subjective conversation. Because it's coating it. Well, right. Because shit gets on the outside and you cook it. And, and of course, it's still going to be there. But they did a test a few <laughs> years ago. Cooks <laughs> Illustrated actually did this, which is a great magazine for folks who don't subscribe to it. And they marinated meat for 18 hours. And then they tested to see what the penetration level of the marinade was. And it's... It's a fraction. It's millimeters. Well, not if you took a fork
0: and stabbed a million times. Well, so what they they did.
2: (laughs) Right. So there's mechanical ways that you can, of course, inject something into something. But if you just drop it into a liquid, which is what 90% of people do. They then took it and shaved off, like down to the level that they could see that the marinade penetrated, cooked them, and then blind tasted. And people could absolutely not taste the difference between... Something marinated and something not marinated. Okay, so here. here's
0: where I'm calling a little bit of bullshit.
2: Okay, here we go. Steve likes to call bullshit. On no, no, no. Not, not bullshit. Just, okay,
0: not bullshit, but I think you should factor this in. Okay. Making ceviche, by your definition, you're marinating little teensy pieces
2: of fish. Yeah, we haven't gotten there yet, though. Okay. There's more to this. Go on. So there's levels. <laughs> right. So marinades and brines with enough concentration and time. Will both transition into curing and pickling the same liquid, and that's a whole different thing. So and, it's them, and pressure,
1: exactly right, because you can do right. it under pressure exactly. in a in a vacuum sealed
2: bag. Right. So when you take something like hmm. ceviche at a high enough acid level. You do, in fact, cause the denaturing of protein. It sat long enough. You've manually made it small enough so that the absorption level will break. So that little
0: one-eighth inch of penetration coming from four sides is meeting in the middle. Correct. There you yeah. go. Especially on a small cut of fish
2: right. or a base scallop. Or again, like you that. have to consider that the protein structure of fish is different than land mammals than 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 meat is different than vegetables marinating vegetables is very effective because the cellular structure of a vegetable is very different than a, than a piece of protein and so when you go in and you say it works versus it doesn't work that's where you get into the slippery slope because they all work It's just, are they doing what you think they are doing? And so most people marinate for two reasons, either to make something more tender or to make something taste different. And if you're talking tenderness, it doesn't really work because the acid really just denatures the protein on the outside. It makes it mushy, but it doesn't really make it more tender. Like in the objective, using the Werner-Bratzler machine, we wouldn't have a more tender piece of meat. If you're talking taste, well, of course it can but does it get to the center of the meat? Does it penetrate all the way down? Absolutely not. It does coat the X ex- outside with something. And if that something is viscous enough that it'll stay put on the outside, then of course it can
1: affect. It. And, and let me just jump in here and say what confuses a lot of people is the fact that then after those processes happen, what the the cook does with it then also affects the outcome. And I'll give the most simple explanation in the whole world. When you talk, when you talk about actually changing texture and flavor, uh, live culture, yogurt marinades on tandoori chicken. If you're eating it in India or somewhere where someone actually has the expertise to have done this, I have friends who have come back and said, I have experienced the taste and texture uh, breakdown, And that is the because of the way they butcher, for example, their poultry. They will butterfly chicken legs, right? Cut down to the bone on one end, flap the pieces open, thereby making it uh, a half-inch thick piece of meat instead of a three or four-inch cir- in circumference piece of meat, right? You're mm-hmm. with me? And therefore, that yogurt and those spices will – because they do it for – 24, 36 hours, will penetrate it. And the turmeric that's in there will change the color and on and on and on. And then they fire roast it. But because it's a smaller width of chicken, it's only in that nine hundred degree degree tandoor for seven, eight minutes. Right. So consequently, a lot of that yogurt marinade is left behind, but the yogurt actually does its job denaturing that protein. Right. Right. And so there are outliers like that that confuse the piss out of right. people. Like something like the one that I always use for people
2: though they might not know this dish, is shashlik, the like the Eastern European kebab. You see it in Russia, Ukraine, yeah. places like that. So, what?
1: There are people that don't, right. don't know
2: shashlik? Um, but it's a perfect example of Tell where... Me the word again. Shashlik. Hmm. It's where marinade and brine kind of crossover mm-hmm. because you end up with a watery onion-based, like you blend up onions to make the liquid. Then you add some sort of dairy. It's usually what we would call sour cream. It's not exactly sour cream, but a dairy-based liquid that has then acid in it. But it does actually affect it because you will get that osmotic water transfer. So it'll pull the onion into it while simultaneously getting a little bit of tenderizing effect from that lactic acid on the outside. And again, the meat is cut very small. It's not only cut small, it's cut in a manner that exposes that internal muscle structure. So it's taking away some of the effort that the marinade would actually Mm -hmm. have to go through. Ain't kosher either. No, no, it's not. (laughs) I don't think that's ever been factored in particularly (laughs) heavily based on my historical knowledge of the region. Well, rabbinical tradition states. (laughs) Um, So, to answer that dude's question, and actually, you know what? We are filming tomorrow, we are filming a brining 101 video for the meat eater website. Nice. That we are going to, because of how many people write in with these questions, we're not going to go ultra deep. If people watch it and we get good response, I'll do a. 102 we'll keep going down it, but we're going to help people understand why you would do it how you do it and and really in this one it's just generalized to meat and fish and so, what parts are silly yeah and what doesn't make any sense and stop wasting your time and money frankly because i've watched people make elaborate turkey brines for thanksgiving <laughs> that include ingredients look like i brined mine with a little bit of shaved truffle you're like We could have just taken it outside and thrown it in on the ground. Martha Stewart, (laughs) one of her popular recipes, is the twenty
3: dollar turkey brine. Yeah, that has a you know fifteen dollar bottle of uh, gorwester demeanor in there. Yeah, Mm
2: -hmm. and it's just like people are wasting their time and money. If you want those flavors, Mm -hmm. you can accomplish it. But as you said to your point, Martha, I know you're listening. The three Malabar peppercorns are not going to make their way in. (laughs) After Martha Stewart
0: got in trouble for. Insider trading. Um, she was profiled in the New Yorker, and there's always something that broke my heart. In the end, the writer is there was, you know, people like really jumped on Martha Stewart. She went from, like, just people are always kind of looking for like a chink in the armor. Right. So, also, everybody like hated Martha Stewart. And she's eating lunch. She cooked a chicken dish. She's eating lunch with the journalist, and they're eating it with chopsticks and the journalist comments on the chopstick and Martha Stewart said i read somewhere that thinner chopsticks the thinner the chopstick the more elegant the chopstick is right so i use like silverware for right. us to sh- demonstrate elegance so she said so i went out and bought the thinnest chopsticks i could find and i think that's why people hate me <laughs> Yeah, wow! I'm it, still depressed it, it's about an, an, it. That was a long time
1: ago. <laughs> it, it's an incredible <laughs> comment on her, and, and I've I've had the I've known her since I was a teenager, and uh, the phases of her life are incredible. the The thing that impresses me the most about Martha, all the food stuff aside, is to be a single mom. Uh, to realize that you that you are not going to get any support from your ex, the 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 father of your your child, you were going to then establish a catering company out of your home, and then that morphs into everything that she had built up into the point of the insider trading situation. She is then removed as the head of her company, right? Still owns a piece of it, blah, blah. I mean, you know, don't cry for me, Argentina, right? I mean, she... But, but essentially removed, does her time in the stir without... Re- saying anything about anyone like does does the time and i do not care if it's a country club prison or not you're in you were in a prison environment you I'm, don't want to be there uh, i'm sorry nobody wants to be, having been in those places nobody wants to be there <laughs> and then she comes out and over the course of the last 23 years since that happened 20 years long since that long happened long, has now come right. back bigger stronger and better than ever and the then- woman is an incredible force, and at 80 years old, the most recent interview that I just saw with her is still complaining about the, the what? What did she say most recently? Uh, the men that I want to date, who are the most attractive to me, are usually already taken, and they're the husbands of my friends. Is it bad to wish them dead? Oh, that was the. <laughs> I and, and I think she was trying to make a joke about uh, uh, about it, but I mean this this woman. I have a I have a lot of that's pretty that's a funny funny line actually it is I have a lot of respect for Martha Stewart chopstick comments aside because that is why people came there there was a a time in her life where she was creating tablescapes that no one in the world would ever consider reasonable or have the time to do except her three or four friends and my stepmom (laughs) correct
3: you know and that (laughs) was that was her audience yep and there was nothing it was aspirational it was an aspirational time in the world so. Tiny mm-hmm. post prison Martha Stewart is like universal. Oh yeah, and and giant age range, and she's roasting. She hangs out people. with Snoop Dogg. Yeah, that was yes, Snoop. She hangs out <laughs> with she Snoop smokes, Dogg. Man. I, didn't know I know you were Snoop a Martha Dogg. Stewart man. Oh, I'm a Martha
1: Stewart. She has her own CBD man. line and, now. And it's Kevin, impressive. Kevin yeah. it is. and Kevin will back me up on this. When 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 people come to me and say, "What are the fir- I'm just learning to cook. But I the how to books bore me. I want something that's simple recipes that are like tested and retested five thousand times and are guaranteed to work. And I refer them to a line of small uh, magazine booklets that you can still get online and find on her website. And it's Martha Stewart Every Day, and it's that those recipes for a first time cook not only are delicious and contemporary and use good ingredients, they're simple, efficient. They take forty five minutes to. Get on the table. It is. I've recommended those to more people with more success because she has them tested and right. retested, and I don't know, and tested she's also like just the she's method that she
2: uses, like tested by people who could make mistakes. Yes, like that's so, right. so it's they've already they've already done all the work for you. Like they yeah. wouldn't have published if they hadn't been foolproof.
0: Yep, she's a baller. You paying attention, Corinne? She's a baller. To, no. <laughs> so, Martha Stewart as a guest. Oh, man. Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. On, on the same show, preferably. Uh, yeah. We're going to tackle uh, Jared Wait. Diamond. <laughs> yeah. Mike Cunns has it hey, like I, the pandemic Mike is winding down no
4: Mike and I are talking <laughs> okay. he's yeah it's gonna happen can we bring Snoop Dogg along with Mark please with Mark? is
3: Macho okay. Man
2: still are around like, he okay? no he's not but no. we could exhume no. his remains and bring him in for <laughs> yeah. the podcast he's probably all, still pretty uh, swole great. yeah <laughs>
0: They don't use, this happened to me, it's annoying, this helps you find it out and get rid of it. Well, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and monitors your spending and helps lower your bills so you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year ...when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to... ...rocketmoney.com meateater meat eater. That's rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Rocketmoney.com slash meat eater. Hey everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company... ...from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced... ...master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith... Who, over recent months, I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened. You can work on these knives. If you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it. They'll get it sharp. Phenomenal hunting knives. If you want to see them in action, we just did, uh, me and uh, John Hayes, the taxidermist, just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear. Um, Watch that video, and in that video, you'll see Montana Knife Company knives in action. MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true, but now for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go spearfishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. If you go back in time, what was the first uh what was the first moment you became aware of the disciplines of hunting and fishing?
1: Uh with my father, we didn't call it foraging, uh, but we went out and looked around in the woods. (laughs) Well, mm-hmm. the woods, the the beaches, the ponds. The I mean, we we gathered rose. Uh, my mom would gather rose hips with me in the in the morning. You had to do it at the at the very earliest hours of the day when they were still moist with the dew, huh. uh, before they dried out. This is so when summers. you were a little kid, you do little that. little kid. And where is this taking place? Long Island. Okay, we 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 you know we went clamming. We uh, fish for striped bass every night uh, on the beach. Um, we, uh, took old rotted chicken legs and threw them out on string in the water and pulled slowly and would gather. I'm looking at a bushel basket of blue crabs, uh, here in the studio and we'd pull that up and do a crab Ch- boil. Chicken necks right there. Fantastic. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we would, we would, uh, hand line for eels, uh, in oh, the really? harbor and nail them to trees run a little pen knife around their neck and strip them out of their skin and just put them on the grill. Huh. Uh, which is, people underestimate. Did your folks
0: identify as out, uh, as outdoors? Not at all.
1: Men and women? Not at or all. It was just life. A- absolutely. And, and this is what's fantastic. They didn't if, like read like, if you had like said to them, sports to screen, no. <laughs> if, if you had said to them, oh, you're living an outdoors lifestyle, they would look at you and say, you're ridiculous. We're just living a lifestyle. Now this is in the sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Were both, hippies? both of them grew up in the depression. Uh, Uh, A little bit, but they weren't super crunchy. They weren't back to Landers. My My dad ran a big advertising agency. My mom was a free and loose, like, 60s housewife, you know, it was well, uh, it was uh, an what interesting is a time. <laughs> a free and loose '60s housewife. A free and loose '60s housewife means that she would. Uh, my father did well <laughs> enough that uh, in her apartment, I don't know how many of you have read some of the Tom Wolfe books about New York City in the '60s mm. when Park Avenue housewives were raising money for the Black Panther Party in there. Yeah. You, you would, I mean, Huey Lewis would, you know, and some of those people would show up to, you know, uh, raise money in living rooms where, you know. Wealthy, free, and loose Park Avenue house. So she was like right a culture.
0: She was like, had the room to be a super, countercultural 60s Super housewife.
1: utopian, socialist, yep. and all the rest of that. Gotcha, uh, gotcha. But at the same time, enjoying the privileges that came with, you know, a, a booming uh, one percenter class that yep. has kept growing. Going forward, don't use the word loose about your own ma.
5: Well, <laughs> now that's,
1: that's different because one of the things that I loved the most about her uh-huh. was that. And I mean this in the most respectful way possible. When she divorced my father because of certain Ooh. things within our family, she went on a, a run for like eight or nine years. Where looking back at it, I would joke understand. with her, I was like, way to go. Dude, I, I way need to get go, that mom. time machine fired up. Way to go, mom. Um, and and it it included, I mean, some pretty well I, I was like, really? Like, way to go, mom. Uh, That's really interesting. Your your parents sound like it was fun to be a kid. Oh, the best. Because my father would take me traveling all around the world. And and it's interesting that you caught on to that right away. He actually took me places and taught me shit and said, you will need to know this later in life. And it was Hmm. an an incredible education. Um, And some of my friends who, when I got to college, were into uh, hunting and fishing. I already had – experience a lot of experience fishing. Uh, I'd gone I'd raised a gun to my shoulder once and by the time you it, hit college, by the time I hit college yep. and then one of my uh, uh, the, the very close friends, his family had thousands of acres near Osable Falls in uh, Northwestern New York. and he said you got to come up deer hunting sometime And I went up had a fantastic time uh, harvested two animals. And I, I was hooked because I was already cooking at the time and I was eating all these things with my dad. So when I was traveling with my father and Kevin and I were talking before we we uh, started recording about how much game meat is eaten overseas because it's – you, you can bring it into restaurants, yep. right? It, it's a different situation than we have here. Um, I was eating wild foods that were hunted and I – I was thrilled but like come back home why can't we have this it tastes better than uh you know beef right for example there's certain animals that I tasted and have gone back and hunted and tasted and continue to go back and taste especially african uh hoofed animal species that I would eat instead of beef every day of the week um And and there are species of of hoofed animal in in Italy, like donkey and horse that are eaten regularly, not hunted, uh, but but uh, but sustainably farmed that, you know, I mean, look, I'm the person who stood up loud and clear and said we need to diversify our food resources and, and made a show for 13 years that sort of preached that out the wazoo, right? I mean, yep. so, I mean, you, you know where, what stance I come from. Uh, but that's, that's kind of how I got hooked. And then the pleasure of all of the learning that took place, because for me it was new. I grew up in an apartment in New York City, right? So through my television work and through some experiences with friends before that, I was able to go places and do things that very few people are actually able to to do. And as everyone is at this table knows because I'm preaching to the converted, once you experience that you never go back. I don't know anyone who's ever gone out uh fly fishing in a place where you can actually take a fish if there's a slot limit for it, uh or 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 gone out duck hunting or or goose hunting and then experienced what it's like to actually eat the food that you've taken. And to do it in a responsible way and to learn about what our ancestors did with bones and feathers and to start to get into the the fun part of it, which is not necessarily pulling your trigger or letting an arrow fly, but is actually being in tune with nature. We're so out of tune with nature. It's why I love that book uh, that you wrote, uh, The Outside uh, – Outdoor Kids. Yeah. Yep. Uh, because it, it's it's so it's it's of such vital importance, and it changed my life, changed my perspective on things, and gave me a respect for other cultures and other people that we desperately need today. We desperately need it. We have become a, a nation so divided, we can't even talk to to one another about civic issues that are for our national betterment, for everyone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not talking about left, right or red or blue. I'm just talking about forward as a as a society and to go back and to look at my life and say, hey, where did I learn that? Where did I become more accepting of other people and other traditions and things like that? It's all it all goes back to how I've I'll just call it gathered food. And and I think that's a I think it's a vital importance today. Do you uh, do you feel that the difference there? Like,
0: do you feel it's beneficial? Like, I'm trying to think how you put this. Do you advise people to be like, you know what you ought to do for your own betterment is go out and, and like. Yes. Eat a hand-secured meal. Yes. And not just, okay. Tell me
1: about that. Well, th- there's two sides to this coin. So let's let's talk about diminishing uh, resources in our human-created finite world. Mm-hmm. Um. If everybody took uh, uh, a meal replacement, meal in a can, once a week, and everybody took a meal from the wild once a week, which, by the way, could be vegetarian. I'm just saying a meal from the wild, right? And we skipped one meal a week. And I'm not talking about children or seniors or people with with health issues, so don't at me with a million, you know, ridiculous (laughs) comments on Twitter. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I mean, we all know what I'm
0: talking about. A meal. Not a day, but a meal. A meal. Just a meal. So one meal in a can.
1: Yep. One, one meal, meal from of, the wild. Of, uh, and skip one. Okay. One we, meal of Dan We eliminate one-seventh of our reliance on factory farms and factory-produced food and big ag-produced food, et cetera, et cetera. Right? It radically reshapes our dependence on these places and will help us decentralize our food system. I still believe in a world, it's, we can't do it everywhere, but I've visited enough places where people still hunt at night for their uh, breakfast and hunt during the day for their dinner. And the connection to the natural world that I take from those experiences is to me of vital importance. And if human beings can, I mean, I mean look, I, 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 it's coming out next. When does this air? This oh, podcast the
4: twenty fifth, the twenty fifth of July.
1: Okay, so by by this time, it will have been announced that I've, uh, I'm a co founder of a sustainable uh, seafood alliance. I'm obviously a a, a very uh, active social justice um, uh, proponent, and I work with a lot of different food groups across the country and across the world uh, in trying to provide uh, help for those who need it. For those who are able to, the wisdom that comes with taking – and it's not just about how to harvest an animal. I'm talking about spiritual wisdom. I'm talking about personal growth. I'm talking about a a connection to other people and the world around you. You become people who live a a lifestyle that incorporates even casually being in the outdoors and harvesting meals from there – to me, are the most in the majority the most open minded, forward thinking. I was just, I mean, just the, the bullshitting we were doing before the microphones, you know, went on. All I was, I was listening, all have to do that would really with making the world a better place, right? It, it, you have to understand the world if you're going to do anything about it. I, I famously said in, well, I shouldn't say – well, uh, sure. I'll say it because it was quoted everywhere. Uh, but in What's Eating America, one of our episodes, I, I, I was sitting on a John Deere tractor and I, and I looked into the camera and I said, you know, if you want to understand what's happening on American farms, I suggest you visit one. People who are talking about the outdoors with never having spent time in it, you know, mm. how about fuck mm-hmm. you? If you're talking about, you know, farming in America and you've never spent time on a farm, big or small, you mm-hmm. know, I get I get outraged. At it, where would you learn that Scrabble dictionary? I mean, yeah. get out there and live <laughs> it just just for a day. Experience it, so you can develop. Because everyone is entitled to opinion, unless you're pulling it out of your ass. It absolutely drives me crazy. And 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 by the way, you know, my personal stance, my civic stance, my political stance is is vastly, vastly one sided, but. I still learned all of that in the outdoors. You take what you want from it. Develop your opinions by actually being there, right? Regardless of where they may fall. But if you do not get out there, how do you... I'll give you a really great example. Um, I believe everybody has to have a relationship with a power greater than themselves. If you think you're the be all and end all and you're living totally in ego you will not be successful in life i got to th- i i don't want to bore people with 2 hours of stories about it but it you know flat out you have to believe in something i don't care what it is but believe in something bigger than yourself it can be nature it could be family it could be other human beings it could be
4: the galaxy what, whatever James it Webb is, telescope <laughs> believe yeah, in, exactly. believe in
1: something bigger than yourself right so I'm 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 hunting elk uh out with the uh leaders of the Taos Pueblo and we go up to one of their sacred mountains. Um we heard elk, we we called elk, we saw elk. It it was it got too dark and we were too far away. Never put the gun to my shoulder. Still one of the greatest Greatest nights uh, uh, of of my life, and then we sat around a fire for five hours uh, with their war chief, with their tribal leader, with people, and they started teaching me about the the mountain we were on and about the history of their of their people. And they just told stories because that's how they communicate and pass on traditions by telling stories. Uh, and we we put it in the show as best we can. You know, we got forty four minutes with commercials. Um, but it was afterwards when one of them said to me, "Come here," and we 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 walked around about I don't know a quarter mile down this this hill to this place that was just like two acres of six inch deep moss. It's all it was was moss, this huge field of moss. But it happened to they 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 called it a very sacred ground because it faced a certain constellation of stars. And I lay down there, and he started to talk to me about you know some of their spiritual practice. And what other people might call godly belief and wisdom. And it absolutely, I've never forgotten that moment. I remember every word that was spoken to me. And it was really all about what we do for other people and being in service to other people. That that's our purpose with being here on planet Earth, That they believe that we are meant to love each other and be of service to other human beings. Full stop. Which was identical to what... The shaman of the Zintwazi in Botswana had said to me after a trance dance, where he he and I he pulled me out of myself and we floated above my body and shared an out of body experience, and we documented in the show. I burst into tears. I sat outside his his hut after he passed out and slept for twelve hours. I wouldn't leave. I wouldn't shoot because I needed to be the first one to talk to him with the translator to say to make sure what he experienced was what mm-hmm. I experienced. And um, if, if it hadn't happened to me, I, w- I would call bullshit on it. But I I had the same transcendent experience with him and and not to be – I'm not making a Bill Murray joke here, but I knew I was in the presence of someone very special and I, I, I asked him what our <laughs> – what's our purpose on life here on this planet? And he said – he laughed at me. He laughed at me because I was a modern Western person, and he started to walk away. And I insisted, and the 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 tribal uh, management like folks, he, he felt you're not going to want to hear about it. Well, it was so simple. He laughed yeah. at me because he thought I would just ignore it, but I it, I, it stuck with me forever. The the tribal management uh, officer that was with us who was the grandson of one of the other uh, shamans asked him to please answer if he would answer the question I didn't want to push too much and he turned around and basically said in his language you're an idiot it's to love each other and take care of each other which is exactly what the the tribal elder uh, of the Taos Pueblo people said these are These are spiritual truths that go back to the very beginning of time of how we're supposed to treat each other and our planet. And I have yet to learn any of that from a book. I've yet to learn any of that from from other experiences other than being out in the world with people who are living in harmony with nature, which means taking food from their natural surroundings. So I believe very strongly, to get back to your question, that taking food from our natural surroundings is a very, very, very important part of what should be an everyday lifestyle for everyone. And that includes... Cons- I mean, I, look, I'm preaching to the converted. Your listeners understand this. That includes conservation. That includes how we care for each other, how we feed each other. It includes how we make laws. It includes how we think about our ecosystems. And I think it's vitally important. I, I can't imagine... I feel sorry for the people that don't get to experience that. In your your wanderings, uh, what
0: culture or indigenous group or tribal group kind of had the the lifestyle, the wild foods pattern,
1: where you thought, like, these guys got it figured out? Well, it's all the protected tribes. I mean, I've been very lucky. I, I think we're up to now 57 tribal groups that are the governments of those countries don't allow contact uh outsiders with them i've lived with i think 14 of them hmm. uh and that's impressive yeah it's it's great. an incredible experience yeah. um and i didn't realize it at the time i i, I went to i went to a, a teaching university uh I, university of india big uh School, And uh, the anthropology department there was uh, – was they teach a course on using bizarre foods and they wanted me to come down and give a talk. And uh, I, I found myself with the anthropology department at night at a little private meet and greet at, at the dean's home. And uh, I was introduced to other people as an anthropologist and I, I laughed at him. I said, I'm a TV – I'm a <laughs> fat white guy that goes around the world and eats bugs. Um, this was – if well, by, if by anthropologist I well, mean 13 years ago <laughs> and uh, he said, oh, no, no, no. He says we have we have tenured professors here that have maybe spent time with two tribes huh. of the type that you have spent weeks and weeks and weeks with many. And maybe the, so the first inkling I got about how special the experience yeah. Uh, yeah, was and and now they don't really make TV like that anymore anymore. Um, and the one thing that I found is all those protected groups live in in concert with their natural surroundings. So the ones in Amazonia, right, um, in, in, in the deepest parts of Amazonia where there are no seasons, where it's give or take a degree or two, the same temperature every day, the same weather system every day – they constantly are are hunting and fishing the same animals, gathering the same fruits, gathering the same vegetables. That's much different, say, than the jeune Troisi, who live in a place that has seasons. Uh, even though it's the, the high desert in Botswana outside, about five, four or five hours outside of the Ah Hills. Um they have seasons, so when we got there, they were eating uh, beetles roasted and mashed with marula nuts because marula fruit was fall. They'd eat the fruit, they'd roast the nuts, mash them with these bugs that they roasted, and they would make this paste and dry it. And it reminded me of those old Tiger's Milk Power Bars. Talk about the old <laughs> oh, wrestling yeah. days. I mean, the, the world's first power bar. Those yeah. and they stank and they were chewy yeah. and they're just like bad taffy. Mm. And and that's what that food was, but they ate that. For eight, nine days until those bugs were gone and the marula fruit had fallen from the trees and was all gone. Right. Mm-hmm. And then they moved on to kudu. Right? <laughs> <That's a joke>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and it
1: blew my mind. Absolutely blew my mind. Uh and I was like, oh, okay. And they're like, no, because now, usually after the season and the younger animals are old enough. So it's at that point that they're pushing older males. Out of the out of the herd, and that's what we harvest is the older males that are pushed out of the herd, and we only do it at and and just every hmm. week had a different, yeah, yeah. you know, food or two or three uh, to it, and and I think those are the those are the places that I was most impressed with. Any other group has access to things all the time and is trading with people in towns or cities, and modernism has crept in and. It's more of a convenience lifestyle. Um, I, I think I would be okay with with living the, the the pure seasonal structure that I viewed with a with a couple of other tribes. It really is. It really is absolutely unbelievable. The, the it's, lessons- really, it's an interesting
0: observation that you made. I hadn't
1: really thought of that.
0: Equatorial hunter gatherers are um, they're not dealing with that. Correct. Right? Like you might, you probably have trees. Like if, if you have an array of date trees, all the time. Yeah, there's probably some date tree at any given
1: time is probably fruiting. Anytime. Yeah. Anytime. And the, and the fish that they like are always there, yep. the animals that they like are always there. Um, you know, I mean, the skill set of those people, you know, wild chickens, kind of like a grouse, popping up out of the, the ferns in a forest. So there's trees in your way. I'm talking about a dense rainforest, okay? You talk about hard shots and they take off moving let's say from right to left and they have these these people are hunting with tiny flightless arrows and they don't miss. Featherless arrows. Yeah. They no. don't miss. The the with the um with the uh the Jeune Troisi, uh, a, a black mamba you know the five step snake it bites you you're dead in five steps came into The camp while we were there, an actual rare occurrence. But those animals hunt and they will come back for the same scent and the same smell. So the entire tribe drops – I mean drops everything. One person – and they have an emergency protocol system for this. One person kicks out the fire. Everyone else gathers the the belongings, which by the way are group owned, not individual owned. And they all – 30 of them, little kids, grandpas and everyone in between starts chasing the snake. But they all gather sticks and stones as they're running and they keep throwing it. The idea is they want to chase the snake up a tree. And so eventually, after about a mile of this, by the way, our instinct, because it's been drilled into us, was right. you see a five-step snake, you run the other way. So we all took like eight steps back, and then your your TV sense kicks in. You're like, oh, no, 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 we have to document this. And then we start running behind them. And we put it in our show. We got the snake, shot of it, climbing up the tree. And, you know, a 12-year-old kid literally comes running up with a slingshot. By the way... Not the kind that, you know, has a fork and a rubber band. I'm talking about a sling sling with a rock in it and from 30 feet out from the tree, because you can't be, you have to be out from the tree to get it. He waited for the snake to come to an edge and look out at everyone, spins his thing. I mean, no, he (laughs) didn't take time to tee it up. He didn't, you know, like the traditional, you know, like take your time, get your breathing down. He just. Huck this thing, bang, hits it on the head, and it starts to drop, and he throws three more times, total of four, hit it three times, missed once. Snake is almost dead on the ground, and then everyone in the tribe takes turns stomping it, and then they throw it into a uh, crucifixion bush, which is a bush that has so many big thorns on it. That's the Western name for it. That's where they, they throw it because if you step on the bones, it can kill you even a year later. So they want it to rot and die in the heat and no bleach out into in that. And no one's going to bump into it if it's on the top of a crucifixion bush. Um, it, uh, it, it, the most incredible thing I've ever seen. But you you start to get like that, a, the, the protocol. A, right? a, an appreciation. <laughs> yeah. For that, those seasonal uh, tribal people are absolutely unbelievable. With with skill sets, by the way, and I know that there's people here at this table who've experienced this, with skill sets that far outweigh anything. I mean, the Jeune uh, this was the the funny part. The the kudus. they have these little arrows. They have this poison that there's no antidote for, and they keep the poison. They make it a couple times a year. We put it in the show. And they keep it in a shell inside a leather bag on this tree hanging so that no one— touches it. And uh, I, I, you know, they don't have a concept of certain things about when to use it because everything that, um, well, the kudu, for example, I'm like, oh, are you going to use the poison arrows? Or or are you going to use your little flightless arrows with no poison on it? Or how do you hunt the kudu? Because they said, we're going kudu hunting tomorrow. And they said, oh, you're not going to be able to go. And this is through our Translator. And it's like, well, no, we'll, we'll be stealthy and quiet and just send Andrew in one camera. I mean, the usual conversation we have with everyone about this. And they're like, no, you, you won't be able to keep up running with us and you'll you'll die of exhaustion and you'll get lost. And we're like, you'll die. What do you mean running? And it's like, well, and, and they don't have a, a term that we have for sporting, but it was essentially the idea was they run and throw rocks and sticks until the animal is exhausted and they Get it to a place where it's in a canyon against a wall and then they walk up to it and strangle it. Hmm. And then bleed it out. That's how they hunt kudu. You're right. Okay. They don't it's A use, notoriously athletic animal. They run after it until it's exhausted. Right. So think about that. Right? We were not allowed to our insurance company, we weren't allowed to leave <laughs> camp with less than six liters of water on our bodies. Had hmm. to carry six for each person. Someone has to have the medical. I mean, just I mean the the precautions were insane. And these people are just walking out. They eat these little berries that helps their body retain moisture. They drink in the morning, then they come back and drink a lot at night. Uh, but they're they're fine during the day, including run. It, you know, it's one hundred and twenty degrees. You know, in the middle of the desert in the hot sun, and they're chasing kudu, chasing kudu. Okay. That's new for me. yeah, I, I just sat yeah. there and I was you know, and everyone in these every, the one thing all of those protected tribes have in common and you, you 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 know, you hit on one of the differences with where they they are in the world. but all of them are doctors, lawyers, engineers, uh, farmers, hunters, soldiers right? Builders. I mean, mm-hmm. that we, we have lost so much skill set. Cross training. Well, it, it's insane. Yeah. It's insane. And, and the, the, the young people in these tribes are taught all this at a, from starting at a very early age. I mean, they're all pharmacists. I mean, you know, someone gets, I mean, here's the thing you, you look at, I'm sitting there at one point, uh, you know, and I only come back to the Juntoisie because it was the, the one of the first, second protected tribe I was ever with. And I'm like, God, there's a lot of old people here don't they get sick and the 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 uh the folks who were with us uh from the their parks department uh and tribal management office were like sure they get sick all the time they take medicine they looked at me like i'm an idiot like <laughs> of course they get sick they have their diseases one of the reasons we keep them away from you people is we don't want other diseases brought in right but i i, I was like oh yeah they get sick and then they use their own uh, you know, medicines yeah to heal themselves and people break bones and they, he- they splint them and they know, and they rehab them. Mm-hmm. And there's all these 80 year olds walking around. They live a healthy, happy long life. And I'm like, we're doing something wrong or there's maybe not only are we doing something wrong, but, the, the biggest mistake we make is not learning from these people, somehow minimizing their experience and saying to ourselves, they have less to offer me than this book, this school, this other thinker, philosopher, whatever. It's like, it's like no, go spend some time with some of those people. Study those people and you will learn. Number one, it's extremely emasculating. I mean, I, as a modern man <laughs> with, with some skill set, you hang out with these folks and it is – you know you're I'm useless I'm, I'm a useless, useless person yeah. I am an appendage <laughs> um and uh th- their lifestyle is is not boring the 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 happiness quotient is very high we saw a, what's called a honey bird I, if they see it this bird has a long bill and it eats the the honey uh, the bee larvae so whenever they see the bird which is rare it only happens two or three times a year uh they all run and follow it the whole tribe just gets up and moves camp some and they leave markers. To get wild honey, they leave markers to. Because eventually, the bird will leave them to a a natural hive. Now, these are wild African bees, the worst of the worst. They can make fire faster than any. I mean, I, I'm talking. I mean, two sticks, a thong, you know, from an old uh, from a deer uh, tendon, and they're making fire. I mean, three seconds, four seconds is nothing. Uh, they whip up the fire, they grow a bigger fire, and they hold it in this piece of hide, smoke them out so they're all just asleep. Then they reach in, grab all the honey, put it into this bigger hide, and then carry it home, and then they gorge on it. And they the way some people have the meat sweats and eat too much at a steakhouse and pass out, <laughs> they all pass out from You're- this sugar hide.
2: From honey it. sweats. There I was like there it.
1: was another tribe I was with on the other side of Africa. That's southwestern Africa. In central eastern Africa, the Chaga, uh, they make beer – well, they make a mead beer thing with it and they get hammered. And They find it two or three times a year and do the same thing. But they do a different thing uh, with it. Uh, it it's, it's incredible what we learn from the – if you're open-minded. So what did it teach me? It taught me that regardless – I mean there's how many of us at this table? Fourteen? It's, it's <laughs> unfucking believable. Um but what it taught me was there's no one out there who can't teach me something. Mm-hmm. Right. So to mm-hmm. think that I know it's it, it it taught me to be a better like people say, Well, how did that trip transform you? It's like, well, I I I became an instant recycler. I listened to people more. That trip with to visit the Jeune in in Botswana changed my life irrevocably. Uh I mean, I'm talking about immediate. Immediate because I it was so humbling to see how these people operated for two weeks. And, you know, every night at midnight, because the time zone thing, I took the satellite phone and walked to a clearing out of this jungle with like three guides – three tribes people around me with spears because they're like, you won't see the animal coming that's going to kill you. And I'm like, come on, you know, I'll call bullshit on that one. Right. I mean, you're a tribe, you're making lots of noise and they're just shaking their head at me and they're all standing around me. And I would talk to my wife and kid and, you know, spend my five minutes on the sat phone. And then I'd walk back, I'd go to sleep. Second morning I wake up and the guy who was was with me when I called the first night is still standing outside my tent door and he takes his spear. He didn't speak my language. I didn't speak his. And he points at his eyes. He takes his spear and he just starts pointing out all the different tracks of animals, some of which were massive. Right. Uh, And then he's showing me the slithering of snakes and all the, like the activity outside. And I asked the conservation officer, I said, so what does he do? How does he deal with those animals and why aren't they eating him? It's like well, he hides. He he spiritually and mentally tries to make himself disappear. He slows his breathing. He does all of these things that you learn to do to make yourself as small as possible in that environment. He's like a spear fisherman. It, not only he's it, like I'm not here. I'm not <laughs> here. But it, <laughs> it it goes back to that 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 thing that we were talking before about you know human transformation. You know, you can – you were talking about the throwing stars and ninjas. The reason why I know there are people who have those what we would call supernatural skill sets is because I've seen it with tribal people around the world. He actually made himself so small in the middle of the night, the animals that he was worried would kill me because I don't know how to make myself small were not an issue for him. It was not – because he'd been practicing it since he was a baby. It was taught to him. So when people say, what's your – you know what kind of superpower do you want? It's always flight, right? But I've seen real people have super – I would love to be able to put a cloak around myself and make myself small mm-hmm. where nothing would perceive me. Now, we are talking about a, a night in the middle of an African country, 500, 1,000, 750 miles from the nearest anything, right? But still, what a skill set to have, to be that in touch with nature. So those are the things you learn when you embrace the outdoor lifestyle, the world that's around us, the natural world that's around us.
0: Hey, everybody, I'm talking here about Montana Knife Company from our very own state of Montana. This company was founded by one of the most experienced master bladesmiths in the world, Josh Smith, who over recent months I've become friends with. And my God, have I learned a lot about knives from this guy. Just a phenomenal hometown company that makes world-renowned knives. Josh has been making knives for 30 years. You get one of these knives up and open it, it is sharp like something that came from outer space. And here's the deal. They make knives that can be sharpened you can work on these knives if you don't want to work on them, you send it to them and they'll work on it they'll get it sharp phenomenal hunting knives if you want to see them in action we just did uh me and uh john hayes the taxidermist just did a video about how to properly skin a black bear um watch that video and in that video you'll see montana knife company knives in action MKC products usually sell out in minutes of being released, which is true. But now, for the first time, they're dabbling with having knives in stock on their site. So right now, you can grab yourself a Blackfoot 2.0 or the Ultralight Speed Goat. Use code MEATEATER, and you get 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people, 10% off with the code MEATEATER. That's a good deal. Rain or shine every day is a great day for fishing, right? And you probably got rain gear, but you shouldn't overlook sunny day gear. Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie has you covered on the sunniest day. Man, I was just in Hawaii and I had my Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite Hoodie with me. And here's the deal. We're in and out of the water all the time, getting in to go fishing, getting out, taking the kids to the beach. I'm not going to mess around all day putting sunscreen on then having to get washed off. I just run a hoodie. I mean, who wouldn't trade a sunburn for a trophy fish? But why do it if you don't have to, especially when this Solar Stream Elite hoodie is built with broad-spectrum UV protection? We're talking UPF 50, and it has airflow so you don't overheat. And what's the alternative? Putting down the rod every half hour so you can slather on some sunscreen. Seems like an easy choice to me. So if you're going to be spending long days out on the water, and I sincerely hope that you will be, head on over to Columbia.com slash PFG and shop all of their performance fishing gear. Get incredible deals on premium cuts from ButcherBox. Do you like free protein for a whole year? Well, deals this good are hard to come by at the grocery store. I, at home, well, I got two freezers, but you know what I'm saying. I like to have a freezer stocked full of stuff. I like feeling prepared, man. When I come home and it's time to make dinner, I like to go in and I got all my proteins lined up in there. Just makes me feel good about stuff. And with ButcherBox, you'll always be prepared with meat in the freezer. It means fewer trips to the grocery store. Delivered right to your doorstep with free shipping always. You get a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value. You'll get exclusive deals as a member, too. Sign up at ButcherBox.com slash MeatEater and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. Choose. Salmon, chicken breast or steak tips free and every order for a year. So every box you get has that in it free for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash meat eater. Make sure you use code meat eater to choose your free for a year offer plus $20 off your first order. One of the things I saw um, in South America traveling with an Amerindian group was that uh that really stuck with me. We actually tried to do it. We called it the Makushi Code of Silence. But it just it Did you doesn't, say Mapuche? Makushi Code of Silence. Okay. But it they do not, do not, will not say anything at the level of volume that we're talking right now. That's correct. You don't. You don't. If someone's down by the water, anyone would be like, hey, can you grab the it doesn't happen. Right. You walk down. You walk down and say it into that person's ears. That's right. Never, ever, ever make noise. Right. By the way, it's like talking about like being small. It's yes. Like no one for any reason makes any noise, and they don't brush <laughs>
1: against shit. We we were at when we came back from our first day of shooting uh, with the Gentoozi. Everyone had burrs all over their clothes, scratches all over <laughs> their face. Uh, some we looked like we'd been run over by a truck, because everywhere you go, even though we had walking sticks and you learn how to push thorns and all this kind of stuff, shit catches on your clothing. I mean, everything was like nicked up, torn up. I mean, we really looked like we were a mess. All of them completely unmarked. They just laughed at us. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because and and you know they have the, they have the same behavioral system that you're describing. I mean all first peoples around the world truly first peoples I, I think have the same have that same ability they 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 don't they don't touch other shit we just break shit you know i mean it's pretty yeah it's pretty embarrassing so yeah and the, the food is great too i mean the the food is giant if you've never eaten a 100 pound wild african porcupine <laughs> <laughs> you, I that bird Massive. It's that. like rodents of an unusual size. They're they're as big <laughs> as as you pick. They're massive. Corinne's new one Those are one hundred dollar. pounds. Yeah, and they pull them out. They go down in the spear. They crawl into their holes. These are these are uh, uh, giant members of the rodent family with quills that they shoot at people. But which, by the way, are big enough on that animal that you can die. And they crawl face first into their burrows. Oh, I mean, literally, with a spear. they can
0: literally they can fling the quill
1: of uh, the porcupines. Yeah, because you know that our porcupines don't. Okay. Yeah, they can. It's 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 defensive yeah. because they they there must and and. Uh, You'll, you'll understand why in a second. So they go down, they kill the thing with a spear, they, they, they pull it out. The first thing they do is all the women descend on the thing and they, they use, because the quills are so big, they're hollow and they use it for jewelry and they cluster the tips together to make these little poking weapons and, and sewing needles and all this other stuff, right? So then you're left with this bald porcupine and it's all white fat because the, the quills are their hair right? And it gets cold at night in the desert. So it's really thick and dense with this stuff. And so basically what they are surrounded with, and Kevin steady yourself, is a blanket of bacon yeah, like is this. all around them. <laughs> okay? So it's like an inch and a half thick piece of what I thought was fat. Well, when they clean the animal they throw the meat and the bones up into the trees to let them dry. Then you the first thing you eat is the uh, the blood in the skin. So the blood is beaten with a uh, uh, animal milk uh or just uh, beaten so the clots are taken out and then you can drink the 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 blood for health and then uh you uh char the fat uh uh on both sides until it's blackened and then everyone cuts it up with their knives and you everyone gets a square that's like three or four inches in size and w- when I got my cut piece I looked at it and it was streaked with muscles like very thin. Finds It wasn't pure fat. It was streaked with these pink lines. And, uh, you know, I realized that that's why that animal can dislodge it because it it essentially will constrict its muscle system and pop them out. Mm. Now, it doesn't throw them far, but if another predator – and there are very few for that animal, but there are it, – it does have predators um, – uh, especially in other parts of Africa, ostrich, which will eviscerate them from the belly where they don't have uh, that. Ostrich is the only just thing that kills lions. Ma- just as
0: a defense mechanism, they'll
1: do it. Yeah,
0: they'll kill the porcupines.
1: No, no, no. The ostrich will will if they're threatened will. Okay, that's what yes. I'm saying.
0: Yeah. So if if one messes with it, it could kill it. Right. Yeah. And
1: if a lion, I mean, it's the only ostrich are the only animals that regularly kill desert lions down in southwestern Africa because they have that huge. Uh, we call it a dew claw yep. on dogs but it's it's massive and they literally do like a karate move where they stop they they will let the lion chase it until it's tired enough and then turn and flick that leg up and just cut him open from it's the sharpest claw on the ostrich's body um but the, the these these porcupines will shoot them, uh, you know, up to a foot, two feet so that it by constricting their skin. But the point being that's what makes the fat so delicious when it's charred, it's just that sounds fantastic. Mm, it's fantastic. And it, you know, you just sit there and marvel at these people, their animals and how they live in in space, you know, in their space. it's it's quite quite something. Yeah, those
0: are great experiences, man. Yeah, I'm they're a little, cool. I'm a uh, little jealous. Of some they're of that. cool. Well, your your
3: takeaway on um, you know the eating the the bugs and, and the fruit that yep. lead up to the kudu, yep. which is only a nine day fruit and bug season that yep. leads up to well, red for meat that season. bug and okay. that fruit. Um, you know, my takeaway there is like a first in, first out type of like don't spite the food in front of you. To Correct. get to the the food that's still going to be available next week. Yep. What was your takeaway there? Same.
1: Same? It was frustrating as a television crew because we got there and we're like, well, you know, the producer, director, you know, Chris is trying to explain to them he had to have a big sit down meeting for three or four hours. And we're like, you're not going to convince them right. to throw like- <laughs> away 40,000 years of their tradition. For your TV because schedule? Because we're here. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're just going to have to wait. Mr. Zimmern would like to do it. On- so the f- the phone call, his sat call the first night, because when we went there, the iPhone iPhone just had its 15th birthday. So the the iPhone had- Just now had its 15th birthday. Now yeah, had its so, 15th yeah, birthday. Yeah. And we went there uh, 14 years ago, two thousand eight. 2009, 13 Mm. years ago. So iPhone's a brand new thing. So there was no faith. All the things that are on the iPhone. Back then it was a phone with a camera, right? And a couple of apps in an app store, right? So there was no, we're just relying on paper letters with the government to let us go in there. So there's no scouting. There's no, we're going so far away. There was no sending, we didn't have budget to send someone, scout it, come back and figure out the beat sheet for our stories we just trusted based on what we were told that we have eight million stories we could make 40 hours of tv with these people which we could have and so we get there and the very first thing we find out is that we're in we've we've arrived a week early there are no what because you know and we were fine shooting the bug and you know we shot that that's that was a story and then we had to wait And that was actually
3: there's only so much as a
1: civilian (laughs) was you know just a person where I learned the most because we got to go out and do other things with them. We wound up shooting five days worth of b-roll, but the learning they make snap snares to trap this one bird that they roast, Um, and they have to walk ten miles in one direction to grab the berries that the animal eats, and they take it then. 10 miles in the other direction, right? So a 20-mile walk, right? And they put them in, in a place where the the birds fly by and are around, but where their favorite food doesn't grow. And they scatter them all over the ground, and they make eight or nine little wooden snap snares, which they make in about four minutes with little uh, knives that are are made out of stone. I mean, the craftsmanship and the, the quick time on this stuff, the skill set – and then no one like hooks up the snap snare and then it goes and you're like, oh, we got to be careful. Got to, you know, there's just no test and measure. They just make them and they work and they lay these nooses on the ground and then where the berries are and then we're like – Okay, we'll come back in a couple of days. And we walk back in a couple of days and every single one of them has a bird in it. And I was like, wow, every one of them worked. And they couldn't under through their translator, they couldn't understand the point I was making. Yeah, they were like, Well, why would we do it if it wouldn't work? Like my, my point was that they couldn't even process it. Well, because the the question made no sense to them. Yeah. We laid 10 snap snares. Of course we get 10 birds, right? right? And I yeah, took like going to houses and be like, yeah. all these refrigerators work. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I and I pull and I took my knife out. You know, the the key to living with these people is to be useful because they take their cues from the animal world. It's identical, and vice versa, right? So the useless people, old males, are pushed out of the tribe. They're exiled, or they're just let to die, or they're not healed because they have limited resources, right? That's how they deal with these things. It's a very, very primitive system for human management, right? Mm-hmm. So um, you try to be useful. You just try to carry shit. You just, if you want them to be impressed by you, you have to do shit, right? And so I, I took out my knife and I was like, okay, I'll cut, I'll be useful. I'll cut the snares. And I almost got gang tackled when I took my knife out and moved towards the rope. And they said to me, we make the rope and we use the rope until the rope goes back into the ground, into dust. And until such a – we do not ever take a knife to the rope. The rope is sacred. That's how we get our food. And they carefully spool it up and put it in their bags and return it to the community tree where anyone can use rope for something. And several hmm. days later, we, we finally got them to show us how they make rope. All 30 members of the tribe sit down. They start splitting reeds into these fine hairs and they weave it using their toes and fingers so that they have more – because instead of using your hands, where you can have 10 strands at once if you lay in between your fingers, use your toes. You now have 20. And they make we, – we shot it. It's in the show. It's the most incredible thing. And then I'm like, well, how strong? I'm thinking my house. it's my third day there. The rope's not that strong, right? Sure, it'll use whatever primitive thing. And the guy says, show him how – my translator, show him how – so he holds on one end of it. and I, And he literally – two guys lift me up. Holding on to the rope with it around my wrists, hmm. you know, and I'm 230 pounds. At the time, I was 236. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but if I mean, it's, it's, it's just incredible. I mean, the
1: the the, the stuff that's out there. I, I guess the point being is that, yeah, yeah. I I wish everyone could go spend time with them. But I've had similar experiences, not as profound, not as cool in the storytelling mode, you know, and, and, or, and sitting around with you guys. But we've all had those experiences out in the sitting by a river or on a boat or in a blind or just walking where you learn something or have a profound experience that changes your life. So if you don't get outdoors, you will never have those experiences ever, ever. Mm-hmm. You just won't. And and by the way, some of those experiences are testing yourself as a human being. I mean, I was duck hunting uh, once, people in waders, and a guy had his wader belt. He liked to wear his dad's waders, and he used a wader belt. Um, he wasn't wearing neoprene, right? So, of course, he flipped, he's the guy who winds up in the canoe flipping uh, in the – freezing cold water of Canada in October, November, where we're duck hunting, trying to get the last days of the season. Cause as the holes, Mm. as the ice forms, you know, you get those, you know, they're really good hunting, really good hunting. Cause they're just looking for a little bit of water. And, um, he tipped in a canoe in a big piece of water and we thought he died. By the way, in a horrible rain and windstorm that came up out of, out of nowhere, And so you you start talking about testing yourself when you see a – and I'm not advocating let's all make a friend be in a dangerous place. But I had never had to go (laughs) – I had never had to go save someone's life like that, right? I mean I pulled friends out of cars, you know, a car crash or something or, you know, drug overdose or things. But I'm talking about like you, mother nature, friend in trouble, you know? Mm -hmm. And you want to learn something about yourself or the other people around you, go through that experience, you know. Um, And we saved him and he was okay uh, because we got to him fast enough because we did the smart stuff going in to that blind where we took – I mean, we didn't want to carry it. But common wisdom was don't bring one canoe, right? Mm -hmm. And thankfully, we had – we had a canoe right with us that we could jump into and go after him, right? And it's – you were you tested in ways that you will never be tested any, any other way in, in your life, you know? Twist your ankle and you have to get over that mountain or you have to, you know, pack that sheep up after shooting it. I mean I, I, I almost – I mean I almost broke my ankle and I've never felt as tested as I did in Hawaii – hunting wild sheep on the top of a volcano. The the ground is uneven. There's old lava. So the plants, everything looks like it's flat, but it's not. There's an ankle-breaking moment every step you take. So you have to proceed very slowly. And so you have to field-dress the animals out there, right, because it lowers the amount of weight that you're humping back uh, to the camp. And, uh, you know, I did not think I was up for that, but I turns out I – I, I was capable of it. But I had to be pushed by someone else, right, who said, you can do this. Mm-hmm. You can do this. Um, I did not think – I did not think that I could, you know, and, and you, I would have never learned that. It was one of those times where I was like, oh, there's a lot of stuff I bet I can do that I don't think I can do. The The fun hunting part of that one is that the species are so – you're shooting from so far away, the, the sound – Takes a second or two to travel. So if you're a, a, if you can quickly reposition your rifle, you can take two animals. You, they, they only graze for a couple hours in the morning when the dew. That's the, all their water up at the top of this volcano uh, during the warm weather uh, months, where it's not snowing, is from the dew on the grass. So they eat all this. So you have to go to certain places where there's the grass, set up far enough away. And my guide was like, "Look, you, you know, we don't didn't come all this way to take." you know, just one animal. So when you shoot, before you pull the trigger, know where your second animal is going to be. And I'm like, they're just going to bolt. He goes, they're not going to bolt because they're not going to hear the sound and we only hunt here like two days a year. Mm, okay. He said, so those those sheep, those wild mountain sheep are, trust me, just know where your second shot is going to be. And so I just waited and waited and I had two that were kind of side by side, dipping their head and eating and I just went one, two. And you know, then I'm like, oh, now we each have to carry one. And you get down there and they're really big. Coming in was hard enough for me.
0: Going out. That's funny you mention that because I'm all, like, every sheep, I mean, even even in farmyards or whatever, I'm like, Oh. This things a giant. That's a yeah. big <laughs> animal. I don't know why.
1: Like get in your head that it's like whatever, like a little, like
0: Mary's little lamb. That's a so. big animal and heavy. Like, like
1: and oh, so so heavy yeah. and of stout. course, of course, my first, my first thought is, you know, how how am I getting this out of here? And I, I, it, I didn't put it together that oh, we're going to share the carrying the meat, and he's going to make a sled with the skin of one animal, and we're going to get to a certain point, and then we'll carry it when we can't anymore mm-hmm. because of the terrain. And we wound up cooking it in a, in a, well, he smoked it in a homemade smoking box that he made with sticks and green branches to sort of seal it up with a really low fire underneath. He said, yeah, we got to cook it for five or six hours. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, can we take one piece of meat and kind of lower it closer to the fire <laughs> and sort of grill it up? And he's like, no, we have to smoke it all because this is the meat. We have to give half of it to the... Tribal people on whose land we're, you know, there's there's a yep. there's a thing there's a there's a thing we're doing here, and you know the the network note is uh, why didn't Andrew eat any of the grilled meat so that we had two different taste explanations and two different taste? Experience? It's like because we're violating ten thousand years of their tribal history, and we wouldn't do that, and the they had a hard time understanding that.
0: Tell. Uh, Tell folks what you're working on now cuz I know you got a few handful of projects going on.
1: I, I do. Um, you know, I after years and years and years of telling stories like this at at dinner party, well, making TV about it, but you know, telling stories about it, I uh, met someone in Minnesota who invited me ice fishing uh that was, you know, one of the people who uh runs Outdoor Channel and he said you should really do you cook all that stuff? And I'm like, well, of course I do. And he goes, well, I I said, look, I don't, I don't do stand and stir TV. Uh, and he goes, well, our viewers really like stand and stir TV. And he saw some of the stuff that my production company was making. And they said, do you want to do this show? And I said, sure. So, uh, you know, Wild Game Kitchen got birthed from that and premieres September 19th. Really excited uh about it. We're going to try to do some crossover yeah. stuff with Kevin, uh, which would be fun because we're full disclosure. Uh, we dated for a long time before he got married and I got married. <laughs> um, <laughs> we go back. No, we've been friends for a, a while and it's it's great to be able to share those kind of things with people. And, just be a blast. Um, but yes, yeah, so th- that's happening. Uh, I'm working on – I've waited to do a cookbook my whole life to sort of structure it in a certain way so that mm-hmm. the, the cooking has to deal with the time periods in my life um, and is kind of structured a different way. So, so you I had to, have, to
0: wait till you got old enough to have enough chapters. That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: That's exactly right. And I also I, – I, I'm not a cookbook. Guy in, in the sense that some people can, you know, have five cookbooks in them or every year they're going to come out with a cookbook. Um, that's not my thing. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I, I tell stories in different ways, but I knew I had one great one. So let's just fire that. Let's use that powder you know at the best time possible right um and when are you releasing that so that I don't release a book at that same time <laughs> just a quick heads up would be helpful <laughs> all right well, yeah. f- we'll yeah. i'll let you know um yeah it's going to be it's going to be really special um and can then... i mention something that's
3: real special that you should do this, this is that?
1: also going to go on to um
3: be very useful for you sure would be a compilation of uh compliments that you've delivered off of Iron Chef. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about a skill unto Mm. itself. Oh, thank you. It is Mm. beyond, it's it's tertiary level deepness that you just can't get into. I
1: I appreciate that. It's just being old and not dying and having a decent vocabulary and reading a lot and listening to people. You're going to do great in trivia. (laughs) You're You're bringing chefs to tears. You're like, let me tell you about what you just... Well, what I just put in my mouth. Do you know something that it? You know, I mean, Iron Chef. The the ratings were fantastic. It was t- it's still top ten for kids. It was top ten, you know, past the magic mark of two weeks. So I'm assuming Top Chef, uh, sorry, Iron Chef will be uh, will be picked up again. And I'm assuming I'll be a part of it. You know, for right now, I can't imagine a world in which I'm not the. Uh, That's a hard seat to give up. Well, it's not me giving up. It's 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 networks and stuff sometimes make really crazy decisions. Like, wow, that was great. A- Andrew's incredible, but we're gonna ro- we we want to rotate people. I mean, mm-hmm. there, I'm sure there's that conversation gets had. It doesn't mean that that person who says it isn't either applauded or shot down. Sure, I don't know which. And and I'd like to think that my um, my being on that show helped make it in in a small way a oh, little I, bit of a success. And I've heard from people that they believe that. So I'm going to assume I'm doing it again. Um, But the, the important – I mean, the moments occur to me simply because it goes back to being out in the world and seeing shit. Uh, one of the chefs who was on the show, he uh, I don't want to ruin it for people, but uh, Yia Vang, a Hmong chef from Minnesota, his family uh, – the Hmong are tribal people. Uh, they live in, the, in several areas where, where Thailand, Vietnam, and Laos all come together. They're a hill people. They're tribal. They're an ethnic group. They've seen, never had – seen the, us back here. They've never had their own –
4: Hey there you Yow, what's up? Hope you're listening. <laughs> ya yeah, hey.
0: Yang, I'm pointing out the, the thing you
1: sent us, the, the embroidery of young of Hmong activities. Love it. <laughs> so uh the largest population of Hmong in America are in the Twin Where Cities. You're at, yeah. And so, you know, I've gotten to know a, a lot of these folks really, really well. Uh Yia, who's a chef and restaurateur and, and a phenomenal culinarian, uh, was born in a refugee camp. And he came on Iron Chef. And instead of cooking like, oh, three Hmong dishes and I'm going to show you that I can cook Italian food too, he made five Hmong dishes. Knowing, by the way, and and I could start crying thinking about it because I know he knew that that was not necessarily the way to win. Mm -hmm. In other words, okay, I'm not doing a dessert. You don't get knocked for that. But Hmong food for anyone who's eaten it. It has a, a limited number of ingredients and flavors. So if you're just cooking that food and someone else is doing more things, more ways, based on the judging criteria, you're at risk unless that other person makes a mistake. But he, I think, understood the moment and no one else was calling it out. And it may be because I live in a place where the Hmong live or maybe I've just been out in the world and seen more marginalized human beings than other people have. Um, and I brought up, I just got everyone to stop. They left it in the show, but I essentially got the room to stop and just said, this is the first time Hmong food has ever been cooked on international television. First time ever. And so what that says about inclusiveness and what that says about how we combat, those who would not want to celebrate our diversity, what that says about how we accept marginalized people and how we shouldn't be continuing to do that because the food was spectacular and what he showed was spectacular. And he he took the – he he used that opportunity to showcase not himself but his culture's food and I thought that was – just the coolest thing I've seen in a competition cooking show ever, to not have the ego to say, I want to win. He said, I may win because the other person makes a mistake. One of their dishes doesn't get plated. You're, I mean, you're right. down 20% of your point value, right? So, I mean, there's no coming back from that. But he said, it's more important to cook my culture's food. And I, I think things like that are, are absolutely mind-boggling. That's that's the stuff that's important uh, to me. By the way, we we're, it, all things – because I know we're running out of time. All things for are available at andrewzimmer.com. My my new substack I think is really cool. The book's going to be really cool. Iron Chef's going to be cool. I'm shooting another uh, uh, 20 ep- 16, 20 episodes of Family Dinner starting in a week or two on Magnolia. Um, and, and probably most important for me at this point in my life, because at some point, you know, TV's going to stop, Right. But the the other things that I'm doing, I'm I'm a member of the International Rescue Committee, which Einstein founded in 1939, and I'm the international voice of nutrition uh, for them. David Miliband, Tony Blair's old secretary of state, runs the IRC. And um, I've been able to work extensively uh, with them and going with them to a few African countries uh, next year. I was uh, blessed enough – to be honored with being the United Nations World Food Program global ambassadorship so I'm doing a lot of work with them they're the largest relief organization in the world um and they they have the distribution and the people power to make a really 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 big difference so I'm I'm excited to be working with them and you know a lot of the other social justice stuff that I'm doing around food is changing and morphing because kind of the older you get, there's that sweet spot window where I've been doing it long enough that now I can like actually talk to congressmen and senators and spend mm-hmm. more time in D.C. lobbying uh, and arm twisting for the issues that I think are important, like the ones we talked about, getting people to be able to spend time outdoors and preserving our natural world. So um, it's, a, it's a cool thing. It's a great time. In my life. I'm not slowing down. I mean, that's, that's for sure. I'm the – You know, I just turned 61 and I'm proud of that because in my mind I'm like 30, you know, and behaviorally I'm either 13 or 8 depending (laughs) on – I have some close – because I can be – I suffer from infantilism, uh, which, you know, means I'm extremely immature uh, for a good solid couple hours every day. Um, And – but as I get older, I've – been able to challenge some of my energies away from just the the TV book yep. sort of me, me, me ism and, and try to do a little more us, us, us work. And I think that's, I think that's a very natural progression for human beings. That's solid. That's yeah. great. Yeah. All it's right. good stuff. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, I, this was a, a bucket list cross off item. Oh, glad you provide nice. that. Well, I, I mean, I've known Kevin for a long time. You and I have have we've met once before but known each other yep, yep. for a long time and obviously have had a lot of different paths of ours cross and traverse uh over the years. But I'm I'm such a huge admirer of of people who do the right things with their platform, no matter how big or how small. And I've I've publicly said that for those have been lucky enough to get a slightly larger platform. If they waste it, 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 it to me, there's nothing sadder. There's nothing sadder than someone wasting their pro uh, their platform. And from the very beginning, uh, as your career started to get traction and the world started to respond to you the way they've responded to you, you have used your platform for so many incredible good things. I'm such an admirer of yours, I'm such a big fan of your content, but I'm 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 a bigger – more than I like your content, I, I like what goes on between your ears because you've made a commitment to 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 be yourself and to create that platform to inspire other people and shown folks that you can change things with what you do. You can change hearts and minds and you can educate and have fun at the same – I call it adventure learning. I'm a big proponent of adventure learning and I can't think of anyone who – Defines that with what they do, not with what they say, but with what they do more than you. So this was a big bucket. The, the ask came in. I don't know what about chasing down other people, but when someone mentioned to me that I had the opportunity to do this, I said yes right away. Good. There was there was
0: zero That's hesitation. Awesome. Well, thank you for the very generous compliment. Well, it's it's what, that's what
2: Cal was talking about. Like really? that was a perfect example of we all just witnessed it
0: in real life. <laughs> oh, is that what you were talking about? Th- that's Steve, a good are you example. Okay. We'll give you that one. <laughs> no, right. I'm solid. But I'm good. But thanks. No, but it's true. very kind of you. It's the truth. Yeah. It's uh, all I do is tell the truth. And Now he's going to be really mean to you during trivia. Yeah. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you get to watch the bloodthirst
0: come in. So. <laughs> no, no, I hope he doesn't. Well. I, I think you're going to do good. Man. No, I don't wow. know. Depends what the questions are. I'm just here well, for comic relief. Steve's
5: got this theory that being old is an advantage.
0: That's why me and Brody dominate. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, let me give you another tip. Okay. Most of the answers, you don't actually know the answer. It's a good guess. You just figure your right? way. You figure mm. your way into right. it. Right. Yeah. Okay. So you got a lot of like good reason. You got a lot of things off. to figure from. Okay. So, where you're like, well, it wouldn't be that. That wouldn't make right. sense. No,
1: that's it's, like any other. Like yeah. the SATs
0: yeah. that I cheated on anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's go get Spencer. Yep. Everybody that's listening. Thank you. Andrew Zimmerman, thank you so much. My pleasure.
1: Check out our uh check out Outdoor Channel. What's the date again? September nineteenth at nine o'clock Eastern is the premiere of Wild Game Kitchen.
0: Go check it out. Outdoor channel. Andrew Zimmern, thanks again. Game on Suckers, Trivia. Dropping soon. Thank you. I just run a hoodie. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So, before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to consumers is simple. Gear the way you'd design it. Every product SportDog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions
2: you and your dog may encounter. I've used that SportDog collar in different temperatures. It just doesn't stop working.
0: Get 20% off your first purchase using code MEATEATER. So go to www.sportdog.com meat eater to learn more.